Instead of saying, I am here and extremely formidable, you could say, I'm not here at all. That, of course, is a straightforward lie, but there's a bird in these Brazilian forests that tells the most convincing of lies. Finding it is not easy. Indeed, I'm quite sure I've walked past one many times without knowing it. But this time, we're lucky. It's sitting on the tree trunk. It's a potu, a kind of nightjar. It hunts for insects at night, so, like any other night worker, it needs to rest during the day. And it relies on the visual match between its feathers and the tree trunk to protect it from disturbance. The only thing that could give it away are its beak and its eyes. Now I'm getting quite close, so it decides to improve its disguise even further, and it does that by changing its posture and closing those giveaway eyes. Now it's no more than the stump of a broken branch. Nab Seb. Nab Seabass. What's that? Vlad Nab. The Vlad Nab Seabass. What's Nab? Is like, that Gossip Girl? What? No, what's Nab? What are you saying? I'm saying Vladimir Nabokov Sebastian Knight. Vlad Nab Seabass. Vlad Nab Seabass. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were saying it was like that was like a known cultural reference. Oh. Why was your first, Nab- why was your first guess Gossip Girl? Oh, because I was thinking of Chuck Bass. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right, well, that's enough. funny because I was thinking of Gossip Girl because I was thinking of Sebastian Stan, who plays the Winter Soldier, because there's a part <laughs> at the end of this book where he has a glove on his hand, and I was like, that's like the Winter Soldier. So that was pretty interesting. Is Sebastian, is he in Gossip Girl? Yeah, oh, that's where know. he got his start. Oh. Yeah, And Sebastian I... Knight, in a dream that V has, has a black and a white glove on, one of which is exactly. filled with tiny hands. Yes. Which was maybe the grossest thing that this book had in, in, in it. I was thinking of um, Gossip Girl because I want to um, smell Blake Lively's shoes. Ah, uh, so. yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Welcome to Spinecrackers, everybody. Hi. Where are we actually? The real Blake Lively of Sebastian Knight. That's right. Yeah, we're here. We're we're, we're recording, baby. Oh, wow. We're ready. We're, we're here. We're live. I don't. I didn't see. Rec- I don't see the record, but oh, I'm not. Okay, never mind. It's not. A, okay. Oh, okay, come on. You got this. Yep. Yeah, I got it. Um, we're so close to not doing this anymore. It's it. And by I, that, I, by what? not, I mean the the banter of not knowing. I promise you, dear listener, that this is only like twenty percent performative. Yeah, we're it's not like doing basically real. 
Oh man, saying the word performative makes me think of alt lit, which is I've been in such a fucking angry wormhole revisiting all that stuff from like the early to mid aughts, and I, I I don't know what to do. I let's need just, to talk to somebody just, about it. Let's just read. Let's just read some on the pod and just get that nut out and get over well, it. Should we just read Taipei? Yeah, fuck it. Uh, I think ooh, yes. Ooh. Let's Man. read twelve years uh, for for life or whatever. Twelve years of rules. Twelve. Uh, twelve rules rules of life. For life. <laughs> <laughs> twelve years of rules. And we're off and running. Yeah. That we're not. Well, we sh- we should read those books, but we're not reading them today. No. Right today. Well, wait a second. Hold on. Again, the thing. I'm going to do, I, I think it's important for our audience to know where they can find us on the internet at the beginning of the show, because no one wants okay. to listen the whole time. Up top. Let's do Up it. top. Spinecrackers. Okay. Patreon.com. We have a Patreon. Go there. We post videos, and we post things. You know, get in on the ground floor while you can, before the rates go up, uh, before that <sighs> stock rises, like motherfucking GameStop. We're about to gentrify ourselves. We're about to pop off, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Patreon.com slash Spinecrackers, YouTube.com slash Spinecrackers, Twitter.com slash Spinecrackers, Instagram. No one goes to Instagram.com, but on the app, Spinecrackers. (laughs) That's true. But it's all the same. Has anyone ever gone to Instagram.com on like a web browser? I actually I, do that I do still. I don't, I don't have I don't have Instagram, so I actually do that when if I want to look up someone's Instagram. So you just cheat. I'll tell you a crazy well, thing. Yeah, I only I'm... I only tweet from a web browser. That I think is more normal. It's it's still like is it? tw- well, more than Instagram. Yeah. You'd get the I don't even the, th- I don't know if you can. It is still weird to do it on Twitter. Web browser. On Instagram? You were not you were you were able to post uh, from a web browser on Instagram no longer. Oh, they took it away? Yeah. That yeah, that capability is disabled. Goddamn Zuckerberg did it, didn't he? Goddamn Zuckerberg. Yes, he did. <laughs> like he I think did. he literally, like I mean, like unofficially from top down. Yes, he did. That son right? of a bitch. They're the same. Son of a bitch. So I'm anyway, go find that. us on social media. Give us money. Names. Pay for it. Uh, you know, pay for your literary analysis. Uh, simp for us on Patreon. Yes. Um. There you go. If you like, if you like, if you episode, like it, if you don't, then you know, do you find don't. something else to do with your money. That's yeah, fine. You figure out what you do. Like Jesus yeah. Christ. Gosh. I mean, get your you life together. Figure out. Yeah. <laughs> like fucking straight. Get it straightened out. <laughs> do some. What do you like, my man? Work on yourself, dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah speaking like of Instagram, I'm Paul. I am Paul. Oh. We should say our names. Matt. Gabe. Uh, and I was gonna, I was gonna try and do a clever spin where I was like, Instagram, um, representations of self, uh, you know, and hey, listen, I'm like the cool teacher that's trying to get the kids interested in something a little older and a little, you know. A little less well known. I'm like, it's like Instagram. Think about Instagram. Like, right? You're on there, but like, is that you? And like, there's a lot of like, sort of like, text and hearsay about who you are. But like, is any of that true? And does the even the conglomeration of all that stuff equate to you at all? And is your own <laughs> thoughts about yourself also you? Or is it sort of all of the above? And c- are, could you we sound like a we... like a freshman year uh, 
like liberal arts teacher, and it's awesome. I, well, that's what I would be if I were to have a job because I'm not educated fully. <laughs> not, not fully educated. <laughs> yes. Well, okay. I okay. don't know what I mean by that, that's but good, you know, interesting. The Man, subject matter of, of someone you like could, you could walk right into Harvard and just you know write something on the blackboard and get a job teaching. I, I you could. You what would that be? Maybe the equations. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> no, Goodwill Hunting equations. Some dank literary analysis. It's literary right. uh, equations. So, Matt, are you saying that The Real Life of Sebastian Knight by Vladimir Nabokov, which is what we're reading today. Thank you. Yes. Uh, are you saying that that is basically, it's sort of an Instagram versus reality situation? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Kind of, right? I am. Right, I, let's go. Kind of, you know, listen, I'm trying to create some sort of connective tissue between myself and all all these kids these days who aren't reading because kids, they think they got better on. things to do. Kids read, and it's like no, you're falling into the same traps of thought that old Nab was trying to warn you of in the fucking thirties. <laughs> yeah, kids, get off <laughs> okay. your skateboards, get off your Fortnites, read a book. Yeah, get off Rob the Robin Hood app and start and start reading <laughs> a book. Okay, <laughs> get off your Sega Genesis. Stop playing Aladdin. Read a book. Stop just chugging yeah. v- four loco, and right. just read <laughs> just a book. Dating ourselves in such a specific time. <laughs> Stop drinking oh, your Shasta cocktails. Did you, hey kids, did you guys know that Ernest Hemingway was the original Lil Uzi Vert? Yeah. Hey, <laughs> I know you're thinking of Ernest P. Worrell from Ernest Scared Stupid. Oh God, I was just gonna say that joke. Fuck. Got you. I so, heard ladies talking about that. That that I don't know anything about that doc, but um, it's it's on the it's on the lips of the 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 intelligentsia here where I live. What People doc? Are disc- the Ken Burns, the new Ken Burns doc about I don't know. Uh, about Hemingway. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I would watch. You that. guys don't. Uh, neither of you have, have heard about that. No, no. He's like recently in the like media cycle, not the media cycle, but like you know, like the the. He's an HBO doc yeah. subject, so so a, a bunch of people have now suddenly uh, had reignited interest, and I, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm interested. Anyway, Ken, Ken, Bur- Ken Burns looks like the creep. He's the creepiest looking person is, of all time. He is so. He's like got a Blagojevich kind of haircut. Yeah. He's yeah. got like a bowl cut, like a little boy's bowl cut from the '90s, but he's a man. Yeah, it's so bad. And it's he's gray. Like seven years old. Yeah, it's so <laughs> yeah, creepy. Yeah. And he I has that like soft him. voice that it's. Ju- I don't know. It's so creepy. He's like if if Johnny Depp's version of Willy Wonka. I'm trying to had not say. Hair. I'm trying to not say child molester, but. <laughs> and I was yeah. yeah. But I get you. Legal, legally, we are not exactly. <laughs> Ding, Bing, 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 Bing. We are not accusing Ken Burns of being a child molester. Well, but I mean, still, Child Molesters relate to Lolita, which was written by Vladimir Nabokov. That's true. Well, so ding dong. Well, I was so. I was trying to relate it more to the even more, uh, uh, you know, germane topic of the, the biography of a writer's life. 
that is happening to Hemingway right now via Ken Burns. Oh, that's okay. That's that is a tie-in. A little closer to home. A little closer to the marrow. All right. So, um, Matt, what's up with this book, man? Why'd you pick this book, Vladimir Nabokov? What did you? Where did you did this come out? Thirty-one. Forty. No, came out in forty-one. Forty-one. My bad. My bad. Yeah. Um, I'm Nabokov's first English language only novel. Right. Significantly, yeah. The, the first thing English. he wrote in English specifically. Um, so what, what, what's your vibe? Why'd you pick this book for us to read today? Again, I, I don't have a, a terribly profound rationale. Uh, a writer who... Interesting. I, I've only read two other... <laughs> thanks, Paul. I've only read two <laughs> other... Oh, uninteresting reasons why? Pretty interesting. Uh, 13 uninteresting 13 reasons why. 13 uninteresting <laughs> reasons why. I kill myself because I'm a teenager. Uh, TW, TW, TW. I, yeah, because it's not like, again, I'm not like a, a incredible Murakami aficionado or fan. I, I've read two of his books. Wait, tonight. you I've mean Nabokov? What did I say? Murakami. Murakami. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> that a, that's awesome wow. it's okay Blunder. to be fair to to the listener paul's background is a very sensual picture of murakami sweating yeah. after a long run and so matt must have just been yeah. distracted by his body it's up there I'm for so, distraction purposes so only, so it worked <laughs> yeah i no actually yeah all my ideas got sandblasted by that beautiful, glowing <laughs> picture of Murakami. <laughs> He's just so Slight fit and body. confident and strong and happy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not a Nabokov aficionado, right. but I'd read um, I'd read Pale Fire prior to this, and I read um, Ada and Ardor, Ardor, Ada and Ardor, I don't know. Know, uh, which is a very long one. Uh, which, you know, I, I Lolita's kind of a big gap. Like it's just one of those books that I've been told to read and and, and therefore didn't for forever. Um and Ada is is similarly in, in one sense kind of taking upon itself as the subject a taboo sexual kind of tone of, of incest in that one, where it's like a brother and sister who are uh in love and having a sexual relationship. Um, but anyway, like, those books were always very in- beautiful to me. Uh, he was just a, a, a very enjoyable prose stylist, you know, in the crudest analysis. And uh, I was just curious about what his earlier works were like, because I had not read any. And... Um, yeah, like Gabe said, just because this was like the first book written in the English language intentionally, uh, and because we had also sort of discussed themes of exile in other books, like Ugresich's um, book, uh, just kind of curious. Just wanted to read it. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, I feel like it's kind of hard to go wrong, for me anyway, personally, with any Nabokov book and like kind of not enjoying at least how he, certain turns of phrase and like how he writes. I, I personally, you know, think he's one of the best pro stylists of like whatever, the last <laughs> hundred years or something. Thousand like that. years. 
since last basically since years. Jesus wrote the Bible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, well, yeah. I I per, speaking personally, this is <clears throat> this is the first Nabokov that I've read in what I would call my adult life. Um, I, I I had read like you, Matt. I read Pale Fire, and I and I did actually read Lolita, but it was basically I was like pretty much the age that Lolita is in the book when I read it, and it didn't really. I mean, yeah, I probably read it when I was like sixteen or something, seventeen. Lolita's um, like 13, 12. I thought she was. But... Oh, I guess she's like twelve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See that that goes to show how much I remember about the books. So I I I I. I uh, for all intents and purposes, this is like my first Nabokov novel in my mind, because those yeah. both of those I'd have I would have to reread again to have anything intelligent to say about them. Um, but uh, yeah, I-, I-, I agree in terms of certainly in terms of the prose, and I'm sure we'll get a sense of that as we read through it like, tonight. I I need to reread. I really want to reread Ada because mm. you know again yeah I I think. I don't know, like, uh, a sense of my capacity to deal with more complicated writers than I was actually able to deal with in my, like, early teens plagued me, and I technically have read a lot of sort of important and classical works of literature when I was around 13 to 18, 19, and I'm like, I might as well have never fucking done it. Yeah, exactly. That's what <laughs> like, I was trying to. That's like, what I was trying to say. Like, I in my mind, I've never really read Lolita. Like, I read it, but like, I didn't. It, it it didn't mean anything to me. I didn't get it. I didn't really get much out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It just proves that when you're a teenager, you're not a real person. Is that what you're saying? You're just not. <laughs> yeah, and therefore your teen- teenagers don't have human rights. That's the official. They don't. They shouldn't position. be able to vote. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're not able to vote for most of the teenage years. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. Yeah, those a dry are dry jokes. That, um, well, yeah, Have I actually I've Nabokov? never read. Uh, no, no, I haven't. I know I've it, yeah I, I've come close to reading Lolita, but I never have. Partially because, you know, I, I had heard it was really good, but it was also just like a Tumblr theme that I just hated. Uh, you know, in like mm-hmm. 2010 to 15 or whatever, I was like, this is just what seems was that since. Uh, I don't want to get into it too much, but like oh, like a Tumblr like hashtag about like j- like jailbait pedophile Tumblr, basically. Was it problematic? Well, yeah, was it hashtag problematic? Yeah, totally. It's like it's like people like young girls and twenty five year old guys that like found it to actually just be like. Well, that's what hot. anime lollies are. They're just that's a reference to Lolita. Like when you say like lollies, I don't know, like that all the like fucking anime fucking nazi avatars of like little girls and fishnets if they're not femboys they're lollies and it's like that's a reference to lolita it it, it does have a crazy I'm, sort of uh, we should, current we, mimetic history yeah that those aren't no, the only two genres any, yeah. i want to i want to avoid getting too deep into our knowledge of anime fetish porn but uh <laughs> no but um but, but what I, I, after reading this book though i i mean i think i agree with you matt though that like his pro style gooned I really, really <laughs> loved, and uh, I'm yeah. definitely open. I'm open to reading more. I just, I, I really liked how he wrote, writes. The four, the foreword. I feel like, which you know, I always read after the yeah, book. Same. But I, I did finally read it. Like, did a good job of kind of describing my, my feelings. Is that like, 
And I like, I actually, I, I really like this book. It does, it does feel like um, Nabokov himself, as he sort of young, not young, he's like in his 40s when he, or, or late 30s when he wrote this, but mm-hmm. like, um, you know, sort of critiquing slash um, congratulating himself throughout Interest, in these ways that are really that are really like cheeky and you know he's a big fan of like metatextual reference and yep. uh cryptography and um linguistic puzzles and puns and anagrams and all this kind of shit so like i, th- I he's really fun to read for that reason too um i i also thought yeah yeah i mean i think and you know we'll get into this after maybe after we talk about what the book is actually about but <clears throat> I thought that I did. I agree with you, Matt. I did find the introduction actually pretty helpful. Uh, written by Michael Durda, who's a uh, like a. I think he writes for the Washington Post or something. He's like a liter, like a book review, oh, book reviewer guy. Can I just interject with what I, I meant to say, which is just that like um, there's a kind of elitist hauteur to uh, mm. the language that never fully crosses the line for me. You know, and so that it always stays kind of pleasant, right, or or, or like a pleasurable. To me, I, you know, it, the condescension never like crosses a line, even though it's there. And I kind of, I maybe I'm a little sub, but I like love that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I love that, you know. Well, I think that it's like you know, uh, yeah, and I think that there's, and he Durda brings this out in the introduction, right? Like there are moments where it tonally shifts into like a kind of like a horrible detective novel almost right and it's like talking Mm -hmm. about the the rainy like gray streets and like i I thought those descriptions some of the like atmospheric kind of tone setting descriptions of place were some of the best in 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 the in the novel uh for me yeah but i also think it kind of like Hmm. i was just gonna say and this is a this is a a cringe thing to say and i'm embarrassed in advance that I'm about to say <laughs> it, but the book is also about language itself. The book is about the ways in which language, you know, either is or is not able to express, um, you know, our thoughts, able to capture the sort of lived realities of our day-to-day lives and the various ways that it falls short in that. I mean, there's like a, a, a there's, yeah. there's one of the major themes of the book, I would argue is this tension for the narrator between the narrator and Sebastian between their sort of um, cultural and linguistic, you know, identities, right. As Russian speakers versus English speakers as, you know, having people with one foot in kind of old Russia and one in modern England. Um, And so I think the book is, is about language in that broader sense also. Well, I know you were nervous to, House yourself to like it's postmodern. It's, it's fucking postmodern. At, yeah, as a Derridean or whatever you want to say. It, it is. Like, yeah, it just is. But it, this, what I like, you know, it is right. Like these are the doubts that brought about those kinds of thoughts, right? Within literature, uh, Nabokov yeah. was affected most intensely by like the modernists. Like he owes. Yeah, he was infatuated with like uh, you know J- uh, Joyce and Proust and people like this. Um, but yeah, like there is this seed of doubt that's, you know, blooming, you know, more and more complexly outward within the literary community about the capability of, of, of really like words communicating the truth and, uh, 
people knowing who they fucking are and that, and and, that kind of thing. And I mean, like that 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 to me is like kind of it, it, from the the jump. That's what the book is about. The title. The title mm-hmm. is is it is a sort of it's cheeky the real question. Life. The real life of Sebastian Knight. The real world, not the fake one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is for all you yeah. kids out there listening. This is this is this is when people stop being nice and start getting real. <laughs> um, <laughs> So true that. So the, the the title itself to me is kind of a, a link, like a, a postmodern kind of linguistic, like, you know, challenge. Uh, the, what you're about to read is the real life, which is interesting because at first blush, you might think the real life of someone is the life that they lived as they lived it, not a book about that life. Right. Like it's just interesting from the beginning that those concerns, like from the very title, those concerns start to sort of raise their heads for me. Yes. And the book is just this, like, it feels like the book is just this exercise in why in, in answering those questions necessarily, but raising more and complicating the ones you probably already have. So maybe about the notion, maybe let's talk about what the book's about. You want to do you want to do a quick like yeah, some summary like as it were? Twenty five minutes in. Hey, we're, we're dog. We're, listen, we're, listen. I was. I'm not Look. blaming. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just you know. Those twenty five minutes are about getting the listener comfortable and settled. Right. They're You're right. Cozy. Those twenty five minutes. Were, those twenty five minutes are about <laughs> getting. I mean. <laughs> did that are you making from? fun of my speech cadence, dude? <laughs> Oh my no, god, dude! I'm not. You and your stupid, sexy Murakami background can get out of here. He's my man. You guys really missed last week. Uh, we after we recorded, you dear listener really missed out on our uh, bratty Southie Boston Star Wars fan impressions. That was. Uh, <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. That was fun. Patreon only. Right. Patreon only. All right, Matt. What's this book about? Well, uh, yes, the title is kind of like this uh, uh, right out of the gate, uh, a kind of a joke and a challenge, and uh, he's being cheeky. He's being a cheeky boy, Nabokov, because um, it's about a uh, Russian exile named Sebastian Knight who uh, had to flee Russia during you know, the revolution, uh, relocated to split off from his family, which was already kind of a, a hodgepodge culturally. Like, I believe he had an English stepmother, and... Uh, I think his... No, I think his mother was English. I think the... Because... I think his actual mother was English, Sebastian's. Okay. I could be wrong. Already getting things wrong. Fuck. But this is the point. It's uh, exactly. He ends up... Um, you know, he's kind of like this gloomy, precocious, literary literate child... Uh, you know, there's a lot of transmogrified and, and just, like, actual biographical data parallels between Sebastian Knight and Nabokov, which I think is, is also inc- very important and intentional. Uh, Sebastian Knight uh, flees Russia, ends up in London studying at Cambridge, um, and ultimately achieves status in his, like late 20s uh as a novelist as an english novelist uh and then dies at 39 i think yeah late 30s i forget the exact age yeah you go 36 36, rather 
Uh, and Six, uh, nice. Uh, and then a couple months later, even his uh, you know, his stepbrother or something. I don't half, know. Half, so, so the narrator half brother. is half brother. Half brother. Yeah, they have the same father but different mothers. Right. Um. Just named V. Just yeah. the letter V. Uh. You know. Like in the margins between his like actual like seemingly like sort of nine to five regular corporate job, is uh, has taken upon himself to write a autobiography or a biography. Um about his brother to set the record straight because partially in response to a uh what he considers very like shitty <laughs> uh erroneous biography written by someone named some something goodman yeah i don't know if we get his first name mr goodman mr who, goodman. who was who was, who was sebastian's secretary yeah yeah and he's like this is all fucking wrong and rubbish well it's interesting because like that and this kind of speaks to like the one of the other ways in which the book is kind of like um fractured like t you know temporally because we don't that that that's not the original reason right that yeah. v is writing this this book is but he finds that out part way through the process and then sort of right, it right, becomes right. like a, 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 a an even more he references the book early on but in terms of the actual narrative of how he came to be writing his book and, and that's one of the weirdest things about this book to me is because this book, V, tells us all the way through, this is it. This is the biography. But most of the book is V describing his own process about writing the biography, right? Yeah, like, it's, it's, there's so little about, yeah. about Sebastian. I mean, there, there, there technically is, but it's, it's – you're not – you never – throughout the book, which, yeah, V describes a – is the thing he is in himself writing, which is a biography. Right. Do you ever feel like it's a biography? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's just like a fetch quest kind of weird, yeah, journey of him. Detective novel, like. It's a detective novel. Yeah. Which is a joke about because you know there. This is a so this is a book about a writer by a non-writer, and there's a fake novels in the book which i always love yes. as an idea um and one of those novels I, I believe the first one uh fuck man what what is it called so there's um so there's success i don't think this i don't think success is the first i think success that's is the, the second lost not lost prop is it lost property it might be lost property is the first one in in sebastian knight's oeuvre uh, is a parody of a detective story mm -hmm. where he, you know, where he's going like, he's, he's kind of being, yeah, a little elitist, but also like having fun with the form itself where he's like, listen, the people love, people love the detective genre because you collect all the clues and then you find out the answer and it's really satisfying and right. like, that's obviously not how it works. And he he's kind of like lampooning all of these conventions of that genre, you know, the femme fatale and the yes. all of the characters that are like overly capable of sharing minute detail that no normal person would know. Like the bartender is like, 
Like they did that 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 sketch I think on SNL like the bartender is like who oh you know Mrs Mrs Derbyshire wore an opal earring looked re- uh you know wore opal <laughs> earrings that night looked real nervous she said she was in debt to somebody I think a Mr uh Mr McIntosh or just like a guy who, just like some asshole who knows like narratively just for convenience sake knows way too much and all this right. um so anyway he's just making fun of all this shit uh and then. And then all of that is re-lampooned by actually, quote-unquote, happening to V, yes. basically. Yes. <laughs> well, that, right. That's one of the things that, that, it, that recurs in the novel, right, is that the, the events and characters and relationships from Sebastian Knight's novels sort of manifest in V's sort of pursuit of details about his life. Yes. Um. Yeah, and and the the pace is strange because like initially it starts off kind of wobbly, right? Like he's just sort of recollecting things mostly, and then he and then he finally the the detective sort of angle parody sort of starts to happen towards this latter half where he's he's trying to hunt down basically a woman. And Sebastian's mistress, right? Like the the woman that he cheated on his wife with, basically. Right. Yeah. Who like ruined his life? Yeah. The, but, the which which again the femme fatale, right? And that's referenced yeah. a number of times in the text. Yeah. Uh. But otherwise, what, what, what? I don't know how you'd even describe the first half. It's like it is kind of a biography, but it's like, you know, it's more like V is the half-brother well, of Sebastian, so he's like, I kind of already am sort of a living biography of some of the stuff that Sebastian also went through, so why not just say what I went through? Well, but one of one of the funniest things for me, and I don't know how you guys felt about this or or, or if, you, if this was something that jumped out to you as much as it did to me, was that, you know, throughout the book, and I think, yeah, particularly, Matt, in the first half... Um, V goes out of his way to say over and over again, like, "Oh, I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned about. It. I don't want to insert myself into this at all. I don't. Right. This is not about me. This is not about me. And it, it's all about him. It's, the whole thing is about him. It's all details about how he feels about something. What pissed him off about Goodman's book, and like, you know, <laughs> how he felt about meeting about you know being Sebastian's half brother as a child, and how Sebastian was always kind of aloof." And, and sort of at, at points treated V as if he didn't even really exist, he says at one point, which I think yeah. is significant because there's a theory, there's a sort of a, a bit of a conspiracy out there theory that I think we should discuss later. Um, but uh, it, it, so again, there's those sorts of like performative contradictions. Like uh, this isn't about me while everything you're doing is making it about you. And I think that's interesting in, from V's perspective. Yeah, not only yeah. is it like... <clears throat> Is it uh, apparent within the text that it's about V? But once you once you know the context of the story, and you know like that this is a fictionalized biography, you realize that it's even more about uh, Nabokov than you know than Knight because Knight's not even real. So it becomes like not just contextually about the narrator, but about the actual author that we all know now too. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I was thinking. So the and first kind of indication. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Matt. Oh no. So so like. Um. V at one point goes. You know, his first kind of like I feel like seeking out of of an actual person in Sebastian's life, who is also just kind of a person in his life. Uh. I, I think it was like some uh, uh governess. You know, some they 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 were Russian aristocracy again. Uh, Yes, yes. Uh, or Swiss, but um, yes. Um, you know, again, another parallel also to Nabokov's life, right? Like one of, one of the kind of re remaining sort of czarist aristocratic families uh, before he ended up fleeing. But anyway, they, he finds this woman, uh, Zell, I believe her name is. Uh, and and you know, in trying to sort of like figure out biographical, just just sort of data about Sebastian, she ends up sort of more or less just getting kind of nostalgic and weepy, right? <laughs> and being like, "You're doing such a good thing. You're such a good boy." <laughs> and uh, he's like, "Okay, but like, do you remember like some hard facts about Sebastian?" She's like, "Oh no, just like please." And then she says, like, just write that book, that beautiful book she cried as I was leaving. Make it a fairy tale with Sebastian for Prince, the enchanted prince. Many a time have I said to him, Sebastian, be careful. Women will adore you. And he would reply with a laugh, well, I'll adore women too. And I squirmed inwardly. And she gave me a smacking kiss and patted my hand and was tearful again. I glanced at her misty old eyes, at the dead luster of her false teeth. <laughs> <laughs> at the well-remembered garnet brooch on her bosom we parted it was raining hard and i felt ashamed and cross at having interrupted my second chapter to make this useless pilgrimage one impression especially upset me she had not asked one single thing about sebastian's later life not a single question about the way he had died nothing mm -hmm. you know just like it sets the tone for like every person that he subsequently ends up meeting to question about their like very specifically their very particular time when they had met Sebastian to right. create any kind of coherent narrative that like links up causally well and of course like f from my perspective one of the one of the things about that uh, <laughs> that paragraph that you read Matt is the end there where or it's sort of in the middle where he says, it was raining hard and I felt ashamed and cross at having interrupted my second chapter to make this useless pilgrimage. And this is supposed to be V talking about the book that he's writing, but this is also the second chapter of the book Nabokov wrote. And it sort of is also an interruption in yes. that narrative as well. So it's like, again, these like little meta, these little mini meta references and meta textual sort of games that Nabokov is, you know, kind of famous for playing. Um, yeah. Uh, are, you know, to be found throughout this one. Yes. Like, these, this shit from Jump, like, was meant to be, like, kind of reread and, and, and hints right. that pay off, like, way later. Or play, uh, you know, he has a very, like, um, craftsman sort of uh, Swiss watch kind of approach to narrative. And it's funny because, and this is, maybe this is, like, probably beyond the scope of what we need to talk about. But it, it, it is funny to me that someone who played so many games with language and played so much, you know, toyed around with, like, metatextuality so much was so averse to, like, 
any sort of literary cr criticism and analysis and like you know certainly i think would have detested like the postmodern turn in, yes. in in analyzing literature but for someone who does that sort of stuff so frequently and so you know cleverly in a lot of ways it's funny that he hated that shit so much <laughs> that is strange i didn't i didn't know that about him because like yeah yeah this is blatantly to me a very postmodern no novel mm. the motives of it are completely postmodern to me it's like it's more about the trickery in the play of words and the confusion uh set up for the reader than anything else like there's there's a lot of great characterization and i walked away like thinking that i i liked the characterization of knight and i i thought he was a very like strong character and kind of like a meme character of just like the you know distraught artist writer type who can only be creative and they're just kind of i don't know obtuse in a way or just like kind of not great to be around if you're just like a normal person you kind of meet this person on the street and they're like You'd be like, this guy's a fucking asshole and slimy and right. gross. Um, but yeah, I, is... I would I would say that like the, I don't know. I thought that Navikov's whole point was just to be uh, postmodern. Maybe that term wasn't even around by then, but it's it's all about the confusion no. of words and confusing the, the reader. Right. Yeah, I I, I think it was, but I it, it, I think it, it was. It, Mm. Not in the way that, certainly not in the way we think of it today. I don't know. No, no. Yeah. No. Partially, it feels like maybe as a as a challenge uh, to to make sure that 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 wasn't ultimately what people thought, which is what ended up being what people thought, right? That the like there is a kind of meaninglessness or ines inescapable prison you enter every time someone decides to write something. <laughs> and it's just like, damn, yeah. is that really true? I'm nervous about it. I'm going to sort of address the concerns, but I don't believe it, and I find it abhorrent were it to be true or something like that, right? Keep going. I don't totally know what you mean. Like, right, postmodernism as an idea. I mean, there's also just, like, like this idea that, like, modernism never ended. It was just heightened. And that postmodernism yeah. is, is a stupid term because, like, we have not actually escaped the questions raised and the sort of aesthetic and compositional challenges proffered by modernism. Mm -hmm. And postmodernism is just, like, uh, you know, like what if we're trapped in our own sort of abstract conceptions of thought and symbology and stuff like, you know, and then people like Kurt Gödel get abused by being proving like that there's no connotationalist mathematical language that is better than, you know, written language to avoid all of the paradoxes of written language. Even in math, you can't do that and, and et cetera. Uh, but like, I feel like he's not yeah he he would abhor there is no outside text. I think he's m way Hello? more of hey Gabriel. <laughs> I think he there's hey. there, there's way more of maybe like a uh it's complicated <laughs> like the like a re relationship status complicated for 
language and reality and that those things interpenetrate and are like going to just require a lot more vigilance in, in understanding. Whereas there maybe is in a sense, some in postmodernism, some throwing up of the hands and going like it's over, right? The novel is dead. It's over. We can't, we can't um, get at truth of any kind and, and, and we should stop trying. Do you think I don't mean that's the case for say? everybody and not Nabokov. And I don't think that's the case of every like quote unquote postmodern thinker, but that's the fear. Right. And, and that's um, the avoided or the attempted attempting to avoid that, that kind of conclusion as being persuasive. Right. What were you going to say, Paul? I was just going to ask if Matt, if you think that like th those were his in his intentions only, like do you think that he was only re responding to, you know, prose as it was during his time with this novel, or do you think he was trying to like expand beyond that while using this way of writing? Because well, I think that's one criticism I have is I I feel like it's it's entirely just making a point about um, how no novels are written and how certain writing styles can influence the reader's, you know, perspective. I, I, I feel like it, it was kind of like a shallow, maybe not at the time, but reading it now, I feel like um, I just felt it was a little bit shallow and, yeah, I don't know, shallow. It was, it was written at the, at probably the beginning of a certain line of thinking that was, has now been elaborated upon almost to exhaustion. And so we're at the like exhausting We've talked about it too much point looking back at the time. Yeah, probably when it was like a pretty fresh uh, like um, line of inquiry. I do think you know? um, yeah. I do think that Nabokov stages stages this debate about um, kind of author intent and that like and, and, you know, the influence of kind of the cultural milieu on authors and that sort of thing a couple times in the book. Like one of the I'm, I'm on page 66 right now and I'm looking at one of the sort of these descriptions of his problems with Goodman's book, Goodman's description of, of, of Sebastian. Yeah. And, you know, V essentially rejects out of hand the possibility that that Knight was influenced in any way by his historical or cultural context. And he sort of says, like, he would have been... It, it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't matter sort of when... Uh, when he was born, where he was born. It would just be the he would be the same person either way um and right. and goodman thinks that you know he talks about oh post-war and this and that and he you know uses all these terms that are sort of implying a a, a cultural socio-political influence and v is strenuously against that that mode of interpretation right but I don't think it's an uncomplicated rejection of even necessarily Goodman's analysis of certain things. I think it's this is why this is why I I really liked the book and why I think Nabokov is is just a really fun writer to read is like he doesn't have <laughs> the last thing he has are kind of uncomplicated feelings about the books he's writing and like what they mean. And uh, like Goodman is kind of shown to be a 
silly, but he's only shown as silly. You never read, like, you read some passages, like excerpts, via what Veej chooses to show you about it. Um, but Goodman, Goodman himself, he, he's just kind of a ridiculous in the eyes of V. And it's largely because... It's the classic sort of, like, overly academic, like, ridiculous... Right, he's like, how dare he try and, and you know, and Gabe, you, you've been involved in these kind of debates recently, like, you know, how dare you drag this man into uh, the, 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 the socio-political mm-hmm. milieu of his time, how right. dare how dare you, uh, like, r- let politics rear its head, or, or, or social issues rear their ugly head. Um, yes. And, but I, I, it's not clear to me that Those Navajo people mostly just mean that. Disney. They just mean that Disney Plus didn't deliver. <laughs> Black Star but, uh, Wars? Well, get the fuck out of here. Uh, so, yeah, what I like is that Goodman, you know, if you, you're not supposed to take V at his word, and, and, and therefore Goodman is not necessarily just like this, like, comically wrong guy. Right. Uh,. He just brought his own also subjective perspective to bear maybe a little too intensely on Sebastian's work, but so does V. And and we don't even I don't even know if we have the ability to determine whether or not Goodman overstepped, right? Like that's part of the that's part of the, the complexity of this is that as you say, Matt, we only have V's impressions of it, right? We only have what mm-hmm. V says about Goodman's book and even the quotes. And there's a moment where he quotes, he's quoting Goodman, and he kind of says, uh, he's using ellipses, and he says, the dots are not Mr. Goodman's tremolos, but do you know what sentences I have kindly left? Exactly right. I f- Gabe, I think you're muted. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're muted. Yeah, start over. <laughs> I was just saying, um, did you hear the quote or not? Yeah. Yes, the, the ellipses are not Mr. Goodman's tremolos. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, of course, then that, that sort of is, you know, how would our interpretation change if we had read the full text and not just V's gloss of it? Right. Well, also, Goodman's potential novel would potentially be more of a straightforward uh, biography than V's. V's is not a uh, classic biography by any means it's like solely from his perspective and it's you know you get snippets of of uh knight's life but it's it's more like a like you said a detective journal entry almost of like and it's sporadic we just read it around in time if it's clearly not a not a biography if anything the most that we get of sebastian is long long quoted passages of his already published novels yeah, yeah, I mean, I think you do get a lot of you get a lot of you know his his childhood life and how you know not like very in depth depictions That's true. of That's true. personal experiences, but in the first like maybe thirty pages you get a lot of you know how he grew up, and you you get so much characterization that you actually wouldn't get in a more simple biography. I think that actually, I don't know. I I was kind of thinking that Nabokov was writing this as a way to. Um, throw out the idea that this might be a better way to write a biography because I, I feel like you end up getting a better sense of this person, Sebastian, uh, in a much more personalized way because it's like, you know, 
written by a half brother, family member. And of course it's, you know, it's fictionalized, but I don't know. I feel like there almost wasn't uh, a lot of information left out that I was dying to get about him. Like you, you get it from a different perspective, but you get the play by plays of his life. You get every novel he makes, how he wrote it. Um, and personalized depictions of certain points of his life. And of course, um, V is trying to chase down this one woman towards the end. Um, and you get you get a completion of that story and who she was. And that also informs you of Sebastian and his characterization too, by him, by like getting a characterization of this woman who ends up kind of being a, uh, you know, femme fatale, succubus type bad person. So I don't, I don't know, like a manic uh, pixie dream girl, right? A little bit of that, but yeah. with a big slither inside to her. For sure. <laughs> Spoilers. Yeah. Well, that's right, <laughs> and and I, I, you know, I've been kind of trying to bite my tongue on the uh, comparisons to the Museum of Unconditional Surrender because of. Yeah, there's a lot. I've referenced there. it otherwise, but you know, j- the exile angle to everything, beautiful. The uh, the other. D- deeply important aspect of Nabokov and Sebastian Knight's therefore uh character is like exile and and the question of like you're already misplaced you've already been ejected from a context that would give you the feeling of a sort of completed contiguous continuous identity so you're already asking those questions, and then the and then the further question of like, now that I'm already on that tr- train of thought, like what is it to accurately describe my life biographically? And then Ugresich's thing, yeah, it's it's all these weird fragments that shift between fictional and and more realistic, and she very strenuously in that book is like trying to disorient you almost or not trying but like that's the mode she feels is most accurate to a kind of reality and it's very often the least quote-unquote capital r real type of storytelling by real there do you mean like direct or like straightforward data like data relayed to you you know what i mean right like in the way i i always wonder like when are we going to get biographies because of the internet that are just um, like user history data, like a dossier, essentially, like a thousand page fucking dossier of like shopping behavior and right. like d- information about just like where they lived and where they went to school and just like like literally like fucking Excel spreadsheets of shit. When do we, I feel like we're going to get that biography at some point. Well, I mean, I, I do think that gets back to be Paul's, interesting. Yeah. And I think that gets back to Paul's point, which I think is a good one, which is that, you know, I actually agree that we, there's not a lot of like glaring material facts that are left out of this. Right. The guy had a relatively short life. He lived here. He moved here. He had sex with this woman. He had sex with that woman. He wrote these books. Most we can't that, read those books, which is huge, but yeah. Well, yeah, of course. But most of that, that those sort of material details are in this text, and yet we still come away with the sense that the dude is essentially still a complete fucking mystery, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wanted to... But I actually... Oh, go for it. I just wanted to respond to that real quick. Is like, one problem I have, this is a, 
very grandiose, blatant, probably dumb, dumb statement. But one one aspect that I've had about historians and like, like forever and, you know, in school or whatever and people on YouTube or whatever talking about historical events is they tend to like they tend to fictionalize their views of whatever historical event is happening. And they do it in like a very particular way and it's romanticized and it's like each individual historian has their own depiction of Greek history or whatever, you know, there's always a fictionalized element to a uh, historical event or biography, especially when like it's too far in the past (laughs) that there's not enough like physical depictions of it. And I thought maybe that Nabokov was trying to take that angle too. It's like, you, you never totally know the truth. So why not like make a fake, write a fake truth about, you know? I, I think I he's know, absolutely I that making that, that Yeah. Yes, I, I completely agree. <laughs> like, I, I wanted to read like a just little block quote about Goodman before we can sort of like leave him. Um, uh, this is V writing about Mr. Good, Mr. Goodman. Uh, he says, I for one would have ignored that book altogether had it been just another bad book, doomed with the rest of its kind to oblivion by next spring, the Lethian Library, for all its incalculable volumes, is, I know, sadly incomplete without Mr. Goodman's effort. But bad as the book may be, it is something else besides, owing to the quality of its subject, it is bound to become quite mechanically the satellite of another man's enduring fame. As long as Sebastian Knight's name is remembered, there will always, uh, there always will be some learned inquirer conscientiously climbing up a ladder to where the tragedy of Sebastian Knight keeps half awake between Godfrey Goodman's fall of man and Samuel Goodrich's recollections of a lifetime. Thus, if I continue to harp on the subject, I do so for Sebastian Knight's sake. Like, so I do think there's an interesting also addition of what, kind of what you were, I mean, I think it relates to what you were saying, Paul. Like, having written the book, you also do create a little pocket of not necessarily misinformation but it, if you i don't know if you achieve some sort of notoriety or like you 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 supply more ammunition to certain perspectives and uh uh you will be something that will be referenced and that that will affect future generations perspectives on an event or a person or whatever and that like it's also not a non-event to create something like a book well it- about a pr- person or a place or an event and this is also i think something that happens in the text too right there's a scene and because this is another like kind of archetypically postmodern concern right which is the way that right. the way that language is capable of like creating its own kind of like internally consistent worlds and its own kind of like and and that we are not necessarily capable of like distinguishing the real world right or the real life in this case from the worlds that we create intertextually with, you know, via language. And so there's a scene in the book where, um, I forget who walks in on him. I don't remember if it's Claire or somebody else. Claire is his wife, um, where he's just finished writing a book and he's like laying sprawled out on the floor and he like makes some reference to, you know, being basically being God on the seventh day. And he's like, I've, I've just created a world and I'm resting. And it, that's kind of the same task that V is engaged here, engaged in here in terms of creating a reality 
not the reality, a reality about Sebastian's life. Yeah, I think that's right. I also think it, I mean, I brought this up before, but I, I do feel like Nabokov was kind of creating like a, like a meme character for um, maybe even how he felt about himself too. Like maybe I thought he was kind of making fun of himself. Like he saw himself Mm. as Sebastian Knight, which is very clear in the last like page as well. Yeah. We'll talk about Um, that. I think probably, but I did, I did kind of get the sense that he was poking fun of himself by using a different version of himself. Poking, so. poking fun. How like say more about that? Like, you know, Sebastian's characterization is just like uh, this lazy kind of gruff, um, guy who like, can't really take care of himself. He can't, he's like, uh, I wish I re- I wish I underlined it, but there's a great passage early on about like just how he interacts with the world. He's just like, lazy and um just i can't really end up doing things for himself he can't like stay cleanly he can't um you know just keep up with things around the house all he can do all he knows how to do is write and think about writing and uh he's very precious i I just I, i thought that very precious i think there's a part early on too where he um he's like laying in bed i think it might be even in his dorm room and he's just laying and like smoking cigarettes, and every once in a while he'll like turn. <laughs> it's to like three a.m. in the afternoon. Some, like yes, and just say something about God, and he'll come in like an hour later, and he's like turned to his other side and putting his cigarette cigarette out in his like uh, his slipper, and then he comes out like an hour later again, and he just has like this new poem that he's excited about, and I don't know, it just seemed like a like a meme character. Not to say that it wasn't really well characterized but I, I, I thought that potentially Navikop was making fun of this type of person yeah because there's also the account of the sort of femme fatale figure in his life the one that fairly or not is regarded as having ruined his life uh, who was just like the dude was annoying he was like whiny and I was trying to have a good time and like fuck some guys at this hotel right uh, and like this dude like would come in like with a canes chain smoking and like tell me that i was like vain and didn't know what like true happiness was and and i was like bro you suck <laughs> and that was kind of like the last account the last account that v gets of his half brother <laughs> and it and, and and it affects him right it really he's he doesn't want that to be you know, it's disturbing to him that that's how this person saw Sebastian, given what he understands about their relationship. Like, right. you know, he kind of was like, wow, could my brother really have been this person? Was this, you know, or is this, this, this woman really just being ungenerous? Is her memory? And again, right, we're talking about memory and we're talking about the way we construct realities out of the past and sort of our experiences of it. Um, and he's kind of, well, maybe she's just misremembering. Maybe she's just being unfair, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I, l- I like that whole thing, though, because I liked, I mean, that character, I forget her name. Was she ever named? Yeah, she was named, but I don't remember. Helene? But I, I like yeah, that whole so. couple, those, like, three or four chapters where he um, tracks her down and starts having this interaction with her. Because Madame Lesseff. Um, she's, uh, he doesn't realize until the end of their meeting together that she is the actual girl that he, uh, hooked up with that Sebastian 
She's using some sort of false she kept name, claiming. right? Originally, she says it's What's like she? her friend. Yeah, yeah. and she he goes she on lies this, about know. who she is. Mostly just to get V to like hang out with her more. Um, she's trying to have sex very with V. Move. She's trying to have sex with V, and V gets yeah. kind of a horn dog moment, and he wants to have sex with her too. And you know he ke- he, he keeps it fucking Volcel, and he he's like no. But yeah, yeah, she's he lying. Stems, though he stands strong. For a second, he has a moment of weakness. Then he, then he, he becomes, you know, he comes back to the brotherhood, and he's like, "Nah." I thought it was, I thought it was really funny the moments where he was just like, you know, there's no sexual tension before, but it kind of slowly builds up, and he's just like, "Yeah, I left her place, and I was looking at her bosoms, and then I left." Like it, it kind of slowly builds until he's like staring at the mole on her cheek, and like just wanting yeah. to kiss her so bad. He was and like, that, "I hate to, I." He's like, I hate, I hate to, I hate to phrase it in such a way, but there was a moment when I did consider making love to this woman. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you don't have to be so demure about. It. I get you. Horny. Yeah. He just had a, he's horny. horn dog. You got horny. Oh, I'm horny. Right, but it's like, what, what's so interesting is that like that's the culmination of several false starts. Right. I don't know how. So he meets this. <laughs> he meets well, this. Well, no, because le, le, le search, or I don't know how you would say that in French. Uh, she. All, I just I, th- I want to make it clear that it's not also for sure that she's the person who met Sebastian. It's That's just true. also never like for sure. Right. There's there's a couple other candidates. He he narrows it down to like four names off of a uh, a hotel ledger. That he gets a detective to that guy, find for him. That guy fucking owns. That detective is the man. He rocked his accent. That guy, he was that guy. Yeah, he was awesome. Well, I mean, the forward also tells you that he's like mirrors some other character in a Sebastian Knight book, which I had not right. picked up on while reading. Right. But the effect. The was funny thing about of, that, like, he's the most real person. The funny thing about that too is right before he meet he meets him like you know by chance on on the train right the detective yeah and he doesn't like he he had just gone to the hotel and I thought that scene where he talks to like the concierge at the hotel was so funny because he's trying to be detective and trying to get information and I read it as just like he was acting <laughs> the the worst way possible to try to get information from someone he, he wasn't sucked. charming at all he was just like getting down straight to the point like uh, i just okay i have to ask you this can i see your books from like june of <laughs> 1929 and the guy was just like no it's like private he just like he did the worst job possible to try well, to get the information from i him. think like v does generally come off as kind of like incompetent or or kind of like kind of like yes. a dum-dum like kind of a goofball yeah in that instance yeah. kind of like a pervert because he's like right. he's like do you have who stayed here? And the guy's like, uh, well, we keep meticulous records because we're a very professional business. Was there like, a woman yeah. that stayed And he was here? like, yeah. was there like a woman quite attractive? And do you have <laughs> where her I address? Can I see books? Can I see yeah. the woman? Was there an address? And he's what? like, you cannot have that. And he's yeah. like, <laughs> and he just gets mad. <laughs> it's like, yeah. no, the, the fucking hotel, whatever, like, 
hotelier was was way in the right there. Fucking V is so weird. He just seems like a serial killer rapist in that in that and, moment. Yeah, but how I read that scene too was like if if he approached it differently, he probably could have got the information. He just like didn't say he didn't rely on any sympathy. Like oh my. My brother died, and I'm trying to track down. He didn't say any of that. Like I'm trying to track down the last woman that whatever. It was just like, yeah. can I have, can I have the names, please? Can I have it? Just, can I have your number? <laughs> <laughs> hey That's there, all it is. Hey there, Miss New Booty. <laughs> yeah, it's just Mr. Steal Your Girl out. <laughs> yeah, and you're right though, Paul. Right, like Sebastian Knight, I don't think is meant to be, in any way, just sort of like this pristine pure figure he's a moody privileged like pampered weird guy who like has a ton of failings and who like you know especially you get it the most you get the sense of that the most with claire who like i i don't know what symbolically this might mean but she's blind by the time v meets her yep uh and then she dies in childbirth uh, afterwards, after, like, the initial accidental meeting, because Claire's new husband is like, don't fucking talk to my wife about this, like, weird bohemian dude that she used to see that she's all fucked up about. Like, don't even bring that up. She's going to get upset. Um, but, like, Sebastian seems terrible to her in the service of, of, of what, you know? Like, uh, the involutions of his, like, solipsism some in some sense like his dreams he's obsessed with which is something that again nabokov is was very obsessed with he took a very meticulous dream diary his whole life and uh that was very tied to also his weird notions about time um and i i think it is worthwhile to like restate that like the parallels to the biography of nabokov himself especially as like his first kind of like English language novel or whatever as an exile play a big part. You know, like he he is, I think, in a sense, talking about and parodying and complimenting himself all at once. Well, even 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 something like, you know, um, you're you're muted, Gabe. Oh, sorry. No, oh, no, you're not. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, all right. when I heard you, I was like, I'm not hearing you, which was very weird. <laughs> <laughs> you're not fucking hearing me dude <laughs> um but even even something like sebastian's uh kind of dual you know uh english like anglo and russian background that he's constantly sort of like fighting with early on in the book v describes a moment when sebastian came back to visit them after having been in cambridge for a little while and he has this very like overly affected kind of like british accent and british like manner yes. of dress and the way he like, like madonna mm -hmm, exactly and so i think that you know this being nabokov's uh first book written in english those sorts of concerns about you know you know ident national identity and sort of like how you identify in terms of thinking about like your language and your culture and your background were like in the front of his mind, it seemed to me pretty clearly. Um, and that, that is another kind of parallel that really comes through with Sebastian as a character. Like linguistic efficacy, right? Right. Like, like him describe Nabokov himself describing English as like a very thin and 
and musical and kind of language that he he was unfamiliar with to the extent that it was a detriment to his ability to even express himself in the in the in the somewhat artificial realm of literature <laughs> so that like writing in english he was having all of these definitely these same probably panics about how a turns of phrase and how he was able to like say what he wanted to say which i also think probably feeds into what we've sort of been calling the <laughs> the postmodern sort of uh tone of the novel or some of the some of the postmodern concerns um that, that that you know one of the main sort of features of postmodernism literarily at the very least and in general probably as well is a kind of concern about language and languages like what what can language do what can't it do what you know how should we think about the sorts of you know purposes that we put language to um and I, that strikes me as something that Nabokov is deeply concerned about in this novel through the character of Sebastian Knight but also through the character of V who's sort of constantly like I don't know if I've captured this right this memory is kind of has, has faded um, this, I could be fucked up about this detail or whatever. And of course he is. Um, yeah, I have, a, I have a, a passage that I want to read about this. Yeah. Uh, so this is, um, this is describing knights trying to write, um, I think in, in, in English. So anyway, this is the bottom of 83 going on to 84. His struggle with words was unusually painful and this for two reasons. One was the common one with writers of his type. The bridging of the abyss lying between expression and thought. The maddening feeling that the right words, the only words, are awaiting you on the opposite bank in the misty distance. And the shudderings of the still unclothed thought clamoring for them on this side of the abyss. He had no use for ready-made phrases because the things he wanted to say were of an exceptional build. And he knew, moreover, that no real idea can be said to exist without the words made to measure. And to me, that's kind of both the, the, the struggle, like to me that that passage exemplifies both the struggle with, the, the postmodern struggle with language, that it can't, there's never the right words, right? You always think there are, but it's never, the, the, the words that we have in our language are never one-to-one -one analogs of whatever the fuck it is that's going on in it's our never brain. It's just not possible, right? Yeah. Um, but, at the same time, that passage also sort of speaks to the fact that, you know, at the same time, as they are inadequate and fail and don't express sort of what we want them to express in various ways, they are also all we have. And that is also sort of the world, the, the way we are able to construct reality uh, is through language. And if that's not fucking postmodern, I don't know what is. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I I I I kind of just agree with you that he's just sort of like, obviously, the 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 quandaries that became labeled as postmodern started earlier, and he's part of that exemplary tradition of pushing that conversation forward. I do think it is interesting, like I, whether or not it's just sort of hypermodernism though. Sorry. Excuse me. I unmuted the wrong thing. I was watching the Zoom and I unmuted the Zoom and not the right thing. Damn. Um, Technical difficulties, what, as they say. Yeah. 
Can you draw that distinction a little more clearly, Matt? Like what? Not really. Okay. I I just like because I yeah. Like, because yeah. Once again, modernism to me is not a, a clear concept. I've watched a bunch of lectures. I've tried to get it straight. Um, it's not for lack of trying. But. But it, part of my understanding of modernism is that it's just like an involutions of of self awareness about uh, influence and again, yeah, the limitations of language and this kind of thing meeting a sort of cultural history on which to still graft these things and derive meaning, uh, and um. You know, like, have we stopped doing that? Is it just a sort of complicated modernism as opposed to something called postmodernism? Again, which which is itself like a, a, a somewhat nitpicky, hair-splitting linguistic issue that I'm not, I don't know how to talk about very well. You know what I mean? Does that is make sense? More... Yeah. Hmm. Paul? I, I wanted to ask, like... it. In terms of maybe Gabe, you want to respond to that, but no, not not, not particularly. I'm, I'm, it's it's an interesting distinction, but I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm I'm not sure how to flesh it out. It sort of feels like a distinction without a difference to me at this point. But I'm over. I, you know, maybe maybe that's yeah, yeah. Maybe that's true. I don't know. Um, I think what I wanted to ask because I don't know enough about postmodernism or modernism really is like the quote you read before, Gabe. Um, is it more postmodern to come to the conclusion that words can't depict the truth, so therefore we shouldn't write anything? Or is it more postmodern to come to the conclusion that the language and the ability to write as we have it is the only way we can communicate, so therefore that's acceptable? Mm. I mean, I think... Of those two options, it's the latter. It's it's not that because language, you know, which this this was sort of Wittgenstein's position, which is that, that you know that of which we cannot speak, we must pass over in silence. That's that's not the postmodern position, in the sense that the postmodernists, generally speaking, think that you know language is actually all we have. But it is also at the same time imperfect and sort of like false in many ways and and you know, has gaps and has sort of like, un like, as he says, and even that quote, like unbridgeable chasms, right? Like that we can't, we can never fully cross the gap between our ability to express our inner life via language and the reality of that inner life for us, right? Like that's one part of the postmodern sort of, sort of position. The other one is that at the same time, those, those linguistic expressions are themselves realities, right? Like, we we make worlds with yeah. our language together and sort of what we agree on linguistically starts to constitute a type of reality i think the yeah the the, the, the point being that like and again this is kind of the the, the sandbox now cop seems to be playing in here to me this the the very concept of the one singular real life of sebastian knight is in and of itself kind of a ridiculous concept yes yeah. yeah i mean to go back what, to what i was talking about too about like 
actual even historians talking about historical events. Like uh, I was listening to one podcast. I think it was it's Dan something. He does he does hard history. Dan Carlin. Dan Carlin. And he um there, he does a whole a whole episode or a few episodes about Greek history. And one of the most prominent historical documentations we have is by a Roman um, historian who actually took you know a lot of the Greek historical information and kind of fictionalized it and played it up and made it a little more spicy. But that's kind of the only depictions we I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't, <laughs> but, I don't know either. There's a falsehood to his historical documentation though. But it's all we have of a lot of these historical events. Yeah. Um, but that also makes me think of just like, you know, if 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 you're the type of person that only finds truth in like the individual's depiction of any event, like say if you were at the freaking I don't know Lincoln assassination, um, is it, it the only way you can really understand it is if you were there? But even if you were there, like there's tons of people there and they all have different perspectives and uh, you know interactions with what happened i think that i think that's different i think that's part i just think that relates to um sorry i just wanted to i think that relates to even the character of the femme fatale who you know saw sebastian in a certain light and v saw him in this totally different light and i think i don't know i just thought that was interesting no i think that's a really good example and that's kind of like part of the again right part of the bigger point which is that as yeah the lincoln assassination or V's relationship with this woman, or Sebastian's relationship with this woman, you know, there are, the postmodernists don't think that there's no things, right? Like, that, that, that there's no, right? Like, there are, right. there yeah, are things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the Lincoln assassination happened on a certain day, right? That That's true, right? The Lincoln assassination happened at a certain place. But, like, what does the Lincoln assassination mean, right? What, what, you know, what was Sebastian's relationship with this woman in some final absolute sense? There's no answer to that. There just isn't no, an- there's just no answer to that question. Or, or at best, there is a like infinite multiplicity of answers to that question, right? So right. for Sebastian, his relationship with this woman was one thing. For the woman, it was uh, something else. Helene, right? It, that's who we're talking yeah. about. For V, it's something else. And for any, uh, for the friends, it's something else, right? So the idea that there is, again, this one reality, this one narrative that we can find if we just peel back enough layers, that's fundamentally, I think, what postmodernism is kind of pushed is challenging. Right. And, and like... I kind of agree with there, that. Though. Right. I there's... A, I don't... Yeah. 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 I feel like there's no... Welcome, Gabe like, likes MC, that. Welcome to the club. There's no, like, E equals MC squared for... Uh, for an interaction you have ever, right? Yes. <laughs> it's not just like one Dude, that's it. Truth. Well, there's the implications of E equals MC squared. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Deridian. Derida. Derida. Deridaddy. Well, if you're a Lacanian, you have all the uh, the mathemes. He loved... Uh, and they're not formal. I don't even know... I don't mind. know what that is. It doesn't is. matter. I, yeah, it's there. There are as many for things like that. There are as many interpretations as there are subjectivities to interpret. Uh, but isn't that like yeah. related to most things, though? 
Yes. 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 However, right, like, E equals MC squared. Like, hmm. Oh, man. Let's dive into that. I got (laughs) uncomfortable because I'm not qualified to (laughs) speak. Me either, but, you, you know. Isn't I mean that's the grand well, unifying theory of, or no, well, that isn't. It's not, but like the, 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 um, they're searching for that. That is an equation, right? That sort of like crystallizes particular concepts it, sim- symbolically, right? And and therefore there is like it it does represent something pretty broad in a yeah. sense. Like the the capacity of 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 that is very broad. Um. And then, obviously, famously, it gets used for nuclear weaponry, um, mm. and the fission, nuclear fission, and the atomic bomb, uh, which were were unintentional consequences that you know people like Einstein and Oppenheimer were unhappy about. Again, I I could be fucking wrong about this, but like that, then it gets subjective, though, right? You know what I mean, like. Like, there, there's, like, what this kind of knowledge makes you capable of doing as represented s- symbolically in equations or words. And then there's, like, the acts we use, t- use it to do and the interpretations of those acts by subjectivities, specifically in, like, moral senses and things like this for, like, the atomic bomb. But, like, I, it's, it's not a bad kind of way to encapsulate certain things that are complicated about the this you know what i mean yeah i'm i could be off my shit i'm i am off the range like i i I, this is where i start to get nervous about my ability yeah let's start talking about quantum mechanics right now and then (laughs) (laughs) so there's like 12 what was super strings what is it no uh, there's so like, like a particle could be like on fuck. earth and like you know on the other side of the universe at the, the same particle. exact time yeah the god particle right strange strange action at a distance strange attracting uh spooky the action at a distance spooky action at a distance stranger things stranger <laughs> stranger <laughs> things Stran- stranger things the lorenz attractor and, okay, so here's speaking of this, honestly, maybe this is this is, this is a bit obscure, but the, it made me think of this other passage where I think Nabokov expresses through V the kind of like dum dum view of this whole approach, like th- this idea that you can reconstruct perfectly someone's life if you just nail down this and that detail or or whatever whatever. It's on page one twenty. Yeah. Okay. Um, and this is this is. Uh, I forget who he's talking to here. Um, I have this completely outlined. Yeah, yeah okay, as well. Okay, great. So they're talking about this at, at this point in the novel, the, this mysterious femme fatale who V has gotten it into his head. She kind of like ruined Sebastian's life. She smashed his life. That sums her up, doesn't it? No, I want to know more. I want to know all. Otherwise, he will remain as incomplete as your picture. Oh, it is very good. The likeness is excellent, and I love the floating spider immensely. Especially, oh, so I guess he's talking to Sebastian's portrait painter, right? The guy that right. Roy Carswell or whatever. 
Yes, which is another just sort of like scene of like representation and and, and mirroring and your reflection right. being distorted because he's looking into a pool. I think we should talk about that too. He's Narcissus specifically, yes. like yeah, yeah. Um, and water striders are like m messing up his likeness within the painting. Yeah, exactly. it's cool. It's really good. Um, uh, uh, so sorry. Uh, oh, it is very good. The likeness is excellent, and I love that floating spider immensely especially its club-footed shadow at the bottom. But the face is only a chance reflection. Any man can look into water. But you don't think that he did it particularly well. Yes, I can see your point. But all the same, I must find that woman. She is the missing link in his evolution, and I must obtain her. It's a scientific necessity. <laughs> I'll bet you this picture that you won't find her, said Roy Carswell. And I just think that that line, it's a scientific necessity... To, yeah. to, to find this this woman that V has like latched onto as, as being critically important in Sebastian's development or in his life or whatever that's a, that, that, that phrase scientific necessity to me is very sort of important because that's kind of the that's the dum dum view <laughs> that the idea that if you just put all the pieces together if you lay it out in a sort of you know objective way you'll get the real thing you'll get the truth right yeah. I think it's important to note that, and unless anyone's unaware, that Nabokov himself was a lepidopterist, and uh, he collected butterflies, and he contributed, I, I believe, to some sort of like advancement in the understanding of, of butterflies, and like he was he was himself sort of like the, uh, a scientist in some levels, classic uh, right. meme, right? I am. <laughs> I'm something of a scientist myself. Yes. <laughs> Which. It is an image that recurs because for Nabokov, specifically regarding butterflies, uh, he kills them to taxonomize them. And um, it's not just butterflies, but moths and things. And a lot of those have um, a big thing for him was like uh, camouflage, like natural camouflage. And like the fact that like a, a, a moth or a butterfly can look like tree bark or can look like animal eyeballs and things like this um because it is nature like mimetically feigning other things within itself in order to deceive to survive and like um i i think that's just like a really cool sort of thing that nabokov ran with throughout his literary career as like a idea so he i thought i mean when you first started, I thought he was like kind of like the head of Butterfly World, and he just loved butterflies <laughs> being on his shoulders. He, and then you he tell does me as he well. Kills them like, like Buffalo Bill is. <laughs> yes, yes, dude. Buffalo Bill's not the worst example you could have pulled. Yes. That's all I'm thinking about now is that Nabokov was just. You don't know what dungeon. pain is. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny because Nabokov, despite it, whatever this is, this is really neither here nor there, but. From what I don't understand, the guy interpersonally was generally pretty cheery and happy and, like, not, like, a creepy weirdo at all. And no. it's just funny that when, you know, you when you think about Nabokov's works, you think about Lolita, which is, like, some kind of creepy pedo shit. And you think about, you know, obviously, whatever. Well, that's a separate conversation. But you think about all these sort of dark and sad and kind of creepy works, and apparently the dude as an individual was none of that. What I love about Lolita, again, having not read it, 
not not l- about Lolita, but a, like sort of the, the Lolita an- ancillary discourse. ancillary to Lolita was that Vera, right, Nabokov's wife, mm-hmm. she would get, she would for ever from the moment he published the book onward, there were literal pedophiles who would like send um yes ma- uh like mail him and call uh him and his wife and stuff and be like thank you so much. I fuck like thank you so much for humanizing our experience and like furthering a sort of what we regard as an acceptance of like our point of view and Vera would call the police if she ever if she yes. ever got a, a a return address she would call the police and be like this fucker is a pedo put him in jail <laughs> because obviously that was like not at all Nabokov's point just the Nambla comment. the Nambla people just emailing that yeah just- just the n- the nasty libertarians. Oh God, the worst. Right, which again, that book is all about. Again, to speak of like you know, uh, uh, the beautiful camouflaged, you know, or the the, gr- the grotesque camouflage as the beautiful. Like that. Yeah. That's that's like that. That book in particular is all about yes. that. Like, here's how art can fucking. In in a way that kind of I was thinking of Bolaño and like even stuff as uh-huh. crass as like science fiction, but like here's how something abhorrent can crass. can find purchase in in the aesthetic mind if you're too like artistically inclined. Right. Which is funny because Nabokov is also somebody who is often attributed as being someone who like we said before, Gabe, when you had this argument online, like shout out to the last dude, Sisyphus. Yeah, fucking bad arguments, uh, dude. Yes, uh, not that many brain cells. Argument uh, was like you can't you can't subtract you, you you know you can you can extract this from this you can extract the political or or the import yeah that the aesthetic and the political are, are separable. It's <laughs> which, dumb, is a, dumb. which is which is which is a, a a fancy way of just saying like the aesthetic and the ethical. I would say in some form, it's right? really just a fancy way of saying I wish Disney was not hiring black people. <laughs> Listen, have you seen the the director list for the next five MCU movies? That's they're all literally weird. it. That's literally it. That's all. Dog, they're I all want, women of okay, color. Okay. And like, what the hell? I don't want to slander him. Hey, Colin, if you're out there, hit us up. Let's have a debate about it. We will yeah, talk. I we absolutely that ass willing. Um, yeah, no cap for that. That we will talk to you about about whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I I had seen I watched a Mortal Kombat movie yesterday and it. Shit. It was bad. Shit. Yeah, I yeah. heard it was bad. Wait, the new one? Yeah, man. I was kind of Oh I, shit. It was it oh, sucks God. because I was kind of optimistic about it. Me too. I've been going in, I was it. like and I was optimistic in the sense I'm like, okay, dumb you know, dumb action yeah, movie, like fucking fatality, show me. Right. It sucked. It sucked. It sucked. Oh it sucked. god. Boo. I'm bummed. Right? It has nothing to do with wokeness. I don't care who was who was what color. Just please give me a fucking. Were people critiquing that movie for being too woke? (laughs) No, no, not at all. That's one of those movies that it was. It was just more like it was like gritty in a way that it was gritty in the wrong places, and then like serious in the wrong places, and then like cartoony in the wrong places. It it sucks. I guess I'll just have to wait for the uh, the Tekken uh, Tekken Three movie. Is there gonna be a Tekken Three movie? Uh, That'd be awesome. Sick. Yeah, get the panda character in there. So, a couple yeah, more thoughts too. that I have. Yeah, please. Yeah. Or, or uh, a number of more actually. I feel like I feel like kind of the central, maybe not the central. I have another uh, like okay. 
one of the other themes about this text is identity, it seems to me, right? We've talked a little bit yes. about cultural identity, national identity, linguistic identity, and that sort of thing, but also just like personal identity. There's moments where V sort of like talks as if Sebastian's ghost is like actively guiding his writing of this book. And yeah. he sort of feels Sebastian's like presence in the things that he does. And then of course, Paul, you referenced it a little bit earlier, the final kind of paragraph opens the door to a number of different interpretations that V and Sebastian are actually the same people. It's, it's one person that yeah. neither of them ever existed. And this is like what that fucking, I forget the name of the show, but that sitcom where it, at the last episode, it's all, oh, everything was in a snow globe the whole time. Uh, yeah, that there, it's Mad all Man. sort of no, it's not Mad Men. <laughs> but, the, but that Nabokov is making a sort of like meta meta claim about him being in control of all this, uh, or right. that Sebat that that we are actually reading Sebastian's fictionalized autobiography because there are a couple of sections, there are a couple of points in the book where. V yes. recounts Sebastian saying, I'm working, my final book is going to be a fictional autobiography. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so, so the, last, the last section, right? So basically what happens is, and there's a couple moments like this, right? This is another one where something that happens in one of Sebastian's books parallels V's experiences. V goes to see Sebastian after he has a, a heart event, a cardiac event. Um, and he's in the hospital and he is, you know, tries to get there in time and blah, 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 blah. And the nurse leads him into this room and he has this like very, and it's beautifully described. Maybe we should read some of it, but he has this very moving experience sitting there listening to his half brother kind of breathing and sleeping. And like, it's, it, it's very touching and it like is very meaningful for him. And then he leaves and the nurse is like, oh, you were in the wrong room. Yeah. That guy died like two days ago. The, right. the guy that yeah. you wanted to see is already, is already dead. And it was just some random stranger. Which I want to ask you guys, did you see that coming? Because I totally did. I, I, you did? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, just I did as well, yeah. Like not, yeah I, I mean, I, I didn't exactly, but I probably should have because that exact same thing basically happens earlier in the novel in one of Sebastian's books where the guy goes to where he understands his mother died and yeah. he goes to this town and he has this really meaningful experience and he thinks he's at the house that his mother grew up in and then he gets yes. back home and he finds out it's a t totally different town just with the same name in a different country. Right. Which so is it's the same sort of thing, which again, right, the parallels between Sebastian's writings and what actually happens to V in the text. But to also prove further that just like you don't need reality in order to... to sense and and sort of experience these kind of reliefs and 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 just like you know what i mean like meaning you're, 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 meaning is generated in ways that are not right. necessarily right yeah like attached to anything that you would regard as like the truth or what you would even want is just like just and, hearing yeah. the placebo of someone breathing that is t you've been told is your brother or whatever. And V like ultimately comes comfort. to that, he ultimately comes to that conclusion, right? Which I think is interesting because again, 
you know, I'm sort of interested in, a little bit in the meta, meta, meta question here about Nabokov's own views of like literary criticism and, and these right. sorts of questions. But V ultimately comes to that same conclusion, that his experience of being in that room, hearing that person breathe, and in their last sort of moments of life, is not diminished, is actually not diminished in its meaning for him by the fact that he later found out that it wasn't actually who he thought it was. Yes. Yeah. It actually reminds me, I've been watching a lot of Star Trek, it reminds me of anyone that goes onto the holodeck and has a cathartic experience with a particular holographic person. Um, yes. Yeah, true. And yes. what if, if you find meeting as an actual person in the holodeck, um, does that devalue those feelings you had in that moment? Um, I'm not sure about the answer to that question. But I also wanted to say that, it, Gabe, you said that it relates to that person's mom who died early in the book. But it also relates to what, Matt, you said about um, the femme fatale. I forget her name. Hel Helena? Helena? Hel well, so Helen, there's, Helena. That's, who, that's who Madame Le Maybe. Cerf says it was, but then oh, it he thinks it was her. Cerf. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that kind of relates to that situation, too. Is that like, I don't know, he gets meaning out of that uh situation right you know we're not even sure if that was really the right person but he came to the conclusion yeah. himself and it was like you know a cathartic experience for him in that moment even though he wasn't sure if it was her or not and i just think that that's yeah i think there's a number of like moments where that's that becomes sort of a theme like meaning is meaning is made it's not pre-existent it's not found like it, it is constructed out of our our engagements with situations yeah. And, and it's 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 yes <laughs> it's made by it's made by someone like sebastian and then it's it's made in these very complicated ways when v is writing about sebastian because like those satisfactions from meaning making that are that are so individual uh affect v's willingness and ability to to write about someone else like and and that's and that's history that's how history is written like you were saying paul like you know uh right it, it it's artificial in a sense uh and and subjective so therefore like always a grain of salt is necessary when 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 taking someone's account of something at because at yeah <laughs> At least one well, even grain. Your, is even your own personal account, you need to take with a grain of salt too, which yes. I think is. Oh yeah. Thing. Oh, Dude, yeah. you're a postmodernist, bro. <laughs> Maybe I am. I just I just realized it this uh, episode. But I, I don't think most game. people can help can help to be that. At least narratively, or narrative makingly. To be right? a postmodernist. Who can avoid such a? dilemma you know or like Religi religious people probably <laughs> no 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 I, I think the I don't know this, this is like so beyond the bounds of what we're talking about but yeah I don't think so <laughs> well it, it did remind me when, when thinking about so there's been a, 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 a bit of a debate in academic sort of philosophy recently about and there's a great article um, that, I, that I highly recommend you can I uh, Maybe we'll put it in the description for the episode, but you can find it. It's at Aeon Magazine, A-E-O-N. Um, and the title of the article by Galen Strawson, who's a well-known you know, British philosopher, 
it's it's called I am not a story and it's about this idea that we you know we subjectively view our lives as kind of like narratives you know what I mean that there's like story beats and we sort of have my life my life a story my life a movie right yeah exactly and he's he's arguing and has been arguing um that this is not only false but also like bad (laughs) like we should not we should stop thinking this way if we do right like um that looking at Galen or Glenn Matheson Galen Galen Strawson Strawson um and uh you know he suggests that this this view of our lot that 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 the way we live is structured as a narrative is not only false in terms of it's not consonant with our sort of like subjective experiences generally speaking and we're we you know people who think that way are kind of trying to fit square pegs into round holes but it's also like you know can lead to some morally bad outcomes like some kind of problematic outcomes um so anyway i recommend that article and i think it actually was from a collection of articles i forgot the title of but it strikes me that that's also something that nabokov is sort of joining in critiquing here right like this idea that we can just kind of piece together that you know this and that fact about our life in a narrative sequence and then therefore that's our life i think nabokov is rejecting that view pretty strongly here yeah, I would agree with that for sure. And I think it gets back to what you said earlier, Paul, where, you know, it's, we're not missing a ton, factually, about about Sebastian Knight's life. And yet, his life, and by extension, anyone's life, is something that is more than the sum of those parts, right? We can, we can state all of the factual things about someone's life. But then, and yet there's still something else that is not captured by, by only doing that. Totally. And I, think, I, I don't think, you, sorry, go ahead, Matt. No, I was just going to say that the image, like, finally, like, Nabokov, again, as like a, a, a chess guy, like, he's using knight to mean the, the chess piece, yep. and therefore, like, the sort of like materialist, logical kind of assessment of someone's life as an an, uh, an Excel spreadsheet of facts, leading linearly to a conclusion or an assessment, is always going to be subverted, sort of um, perpendicularly in the way that a chess a knight piece in chess moves, where it goes straight, but then it just moves mm. to the left or the right, mm. and like that that move set is supposed to be significant to how hard, evasive and, and impossible it is to st- get someone to move along a, like, set of rails, basically, narratively. Right. That's my only point. Or, there. like, the space chess set in uh, TNG. Where it's the like Romulan chess? Boards. Yeah. That's where the yeah. term 40 chess fucking comes from, dude. The fucking shit that people claim that every politician is operating on when they're actually just, like, dumbasses. Same thing Trump got told. Yeah. Yeah. Trump is like, oh, they're playing fucking 40. They're playing fucking 40 chess. Trump. And it's just Romulan chess. And it's just Star Trek. And it's just uh, J.J. Abrams. (laughs) J.J. Abrams, friend of the pod. Come on, buddy. Yeah. Come on and tell me why your movies have been so bad. You stupid idiot. (laughs) 
Tell me why Damon Lindelof is actually the powerhouse. Let's go. Okay, that's yeah. spicy. Yeah, I'm sorry. I had to go there. I'm sorry. You're not wrong, though. <laughs> yeah. So show me the error. Do you oh, guys do you guys think that do you guys think that V and Sebastian Knight could be the same person? Yeah. So let's let's I just actually, let's just talk about that final paragraph because there's a lot there, right? Or that final kind of section. I'll uh, go first. I think someone should just read this first. The the last. I don't. It doesn't have to be me. I know I always tend to read the long S- shit. Starting with thus, Paul. Why don't you do it? I was gonna say starting with no. Starting with so. So I did not. I don't want to. Oh, you want okay the full two hundred four. Matt, do it. Okay, I'll do it. Um, so I did not see Sebastian after all, or at least I did not see him alive. But those few minutes I spent listening to what I thought was his breathing changed my life as completely as it would have cha- been changed had Sebastian spoken to me before dying. Whatever his secret was, I have learnt one secret too, and namely that the soul is but a matter of manner of being, not a constant state that any soul may be yours if you find and follow its undulations. The hereafter may be the full ability of consciously living in any chosen soul, in any number of souls, all of them unconscious of their interchangeable burden. Thus I am Sebastian Knight. And this is V talking. I feel as if I were impersonating him on a lighted stage with the people he knew coming and going, the dim figures of the few friends he had, the scholar and the poet and the painter, smoothly and noiselessly paying their graceful tribute. And here is Goodman, the flat-footed buffoon, with his dicky hanging out of his waistcoat, and there, a pale radiance of Claire's inclined head, as she is led away weeping by a friendly maiden. They moved around Sebastian, round me who am acting Sebastian, and the old conjurer waits in the wings with his hidden rabbit, and Nina sits on a table in the brightest corner of the stage with a wine glass of fuchsined, don't know how to say that, water. Never heard that word before. I think fuchsia is the color that Nabokov attributes to uh, time as an element, which is in the preface. Um, Under a painted palm, and then the masquerade draws to a close. The bald little prompter shuts his book as the light fades gently. The ends or the end, the end. They all go back to their everyday life, and Clara goes back to her grave. But the hero remains, for, try as I may, I cannot get out of my part. Sebastian's mask clings to my face. The likeness will not be washed off. I am Sebastian, or Sebastian is I, or perhaps we both are someone whom neither of us knows. Goddamn! Bladow! And this movie, or this movie, The Mask, (laughs) this movie... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this movie is The Mask, starring Jim Carrey. Is The Mask. <laughs> Somebody stop me. And The, and the Son of admit. Mask, starring uh, Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> I have to admit, what, for whatever reason, I thought of The Mask, too, when he it's, said that. I don't know well, why. just the word mask, probably. V is just yeah. Jim Carrey, and he, the end of the book is just him looking at the reader and just being, I smoke it. I smoke it. <laughs> Somebody stop me. <laughs> And it's like, who are you? Are you the car- our cartoon character, green guy, <laughs> or are you Jim Carrey? Ugh. I don't it's know. Like I, I, I kind of read this. 
I read it as kind of like a like a Blade Runner is Decker replicant situation, but I am I am leaning towards him being. I I feel like he just gives away his cards in a good way. Like I, this is a fictionalized biography, and I am both of these people. I'll tell you what. That's that's not that's pretty astute of you, Paul. Blade Runner twenty forty nine was written by the same screenwriters as Blade Runner, the first Blade Runner, and uh, they are huge Nabokov fans who reference Pale Fire and Blade Runner twenty forty nine all over the fucking place. They do, huh? Yes, it's not you're it's not even a joke like That's interesting. Those do, that, that so the main sc- I forget who I forget the name of the guy. Yeah, but like no joke, Blade Runner the first one is probably referencing Nabokov a ton. That's really interesting. Well, the opening scene of 2049 was originally written for the original Blade Runner by the original And Philip K Dick as another writer who we will we be addressing at some point in the Which future soon is another weeks. yes, Ubik. Another well, we were trying to be subtle, but it's Ubik. We're not. Uh, we we're, were, <laughs> we're, we're, I posted we're it on social media out. today. Yeah, it's posted. Okay. Read along. Read along. We want people to join into discussion now. When you yes, when, we do want you to join us. When you hear your family, <laughs> you're just, you're getting it out there. <laughs> <laughs> when you hear your family, <laughs> at some point, weren't Aren't they contemporary? Not contemporaries in the, in in the like classic sense, but they were they they overlapped in the times that they were alive and working, right? Philip K. Dick, Dick and, 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 and Nabokov, right? Sixties. Uh, yeah, probably. I think he started writing. I don't know when Nabokov 60s. died. I actually don't know that date, but you know, nab the cough of my head. I don't know either. <laughs> Seven, Seventy-seven. Seventy-seven. <laughs> 1977. Okay. So yeah. Per- perfect. <laughs> that was. Oh my that god. Was good. <laughs> uh, I had, I had the date, but I lobster right. Just, oh a, just god, another thing. Yeah. I, I love that we just like read the most sort of important passage in the book and just. Whoop. Yeah. Well. Okay. No. No. We no. No. no I'm joking. I'm sorry. I'm, joking. I'm not trying. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not finger wagging. But I do want. Well, I, do, I, I do think it's interesting. Back. What what do you, what do we make of this? Are they the, are they the same fucking person? Are they fucking? Is this like a double, triple meta thing where we're this is actually Sebastian Knight's fictionalized biography that he claimed was going to be his that, last book? Like, what is this? That's my take. That 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 would be what I would say is probably what's happening. Is that this is Sebastian Knight's last book? So you, so you think V that is, we're reading is a creation of Sebastian Knight? Not real, not real. Yeah. But of course, then they're yeah. both, as the final, the final, final line suggests, they're both creations of someone else, which is Nabokov. In reality, reality. Exactly yeah, right. In reality, reality. I think I, I feel like I read the ending <laughs> as a doubling down of all the ideas that he set forth in the novel. So like, yeah. I'm gonna, you know, totally up the ante in the last page and whatever I was talking about is going to be exasperated right at the end. And, uh, right. And still, and still provide mostly, uh, question marks, all of which are valid. Right. Were you to ask yourself which one you actually believe was the truth? Well, I think that's the other, that's another like major theme in the book is, is, you know, you said doubling down Paul, but like doubling in general, 
is like a, a, a big theme in the text. Like Sebastian and V are kind of like doubles or mirror images of one another. V's experiences searching for the quote unquote truth of Sebastian's life are doubled by many of the things that Sebastian wrote about in his novels. Um, and oh, there's characters that reappear in both. And so like, I, I think that like the whole book, and again, I think this portrait for me, that was actually like kind of a big deal. The, the, the Roy Carswell portrait that we mentioned yeah. earlier of Sebastian, where it's this, it's this double of Sebastian. It's him looking as a narcissist into the pool but it's distorted in these small ways. It's doubled, but it's altered, right? And, and, and I think that that is kind of the vibe of the book. Also, the, the thing that's against my interpretation at the moment that like this represents, this book itself is Sebastian's last, is that that book textually is, you know, which again is, is grains of salt and doubt you know cast upon it is unfinished that sebastian himself has supposed to have died before he was able to finish it so but even that is believe... only we only get that information from within this book itself right 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 yeah it's so if where i don't we... believe that well, if we're thinking of it as like a book that actually could have been written by a person named Sebastian Knight, he could have I still see that aspect of the story being like a cheeky thing the author could have done, like, oh, I'm writing about the last book. This is the last book I wrote, but I still have one coming out after. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Then I'm not actually dead. I'm yeah. trying to like I, I I what I was trying to do that I failed was like get some sense based off of literally like titles of the mm. fake books mm. yeah I think like the trajectory of the thought of Sebastian Knight you know like we have the fake detective novel and then we have um albinos in black <laughs> yeah that's a weird one and then the funny mountain I thought of the magic mountain I don't know if that's yep. correct I don't really know what it is I think it's a short story collection Success, right? Or so sorry, lost property. Then it's success, and yeah. then I believe it's uh, albinos in black. Yeah. The funny mountain, the doubtful, Asphodel. That's his last a, one, right? Yes, which is a flower associated with death and Persephone and and things like this. Right. Uh, and maybe there was a title to the fictitious autobiography, but I I, I didn't catch it. I don't it, think or, so. I, I don't think it was there. Um. Five books, I believe, in total. Yep. Not not sure if that has any significance, but I think it's just, again, it, it with Nabokov and, and and one of the reasons I, I I wanted to read him and like reading him is, is is that that stuff could and tends to, and it's just fun fun, it's just fun to, yeah to try and guess if that's true. Well, and he he played that shit up like. And, yes. you know, I've read, I read, you know, a, a couple articles about this book, even, even the name, um, Sebastian Knight, and this is probably like academics overthinking this, right? But, uh, the name Sebastian Knight is an anagram of a knight is absent with an, with an extra A. 
right? So it's not a real anagram, but it's, but it's, and, and, but of course, Uh, right? Academics, academics being academics, they say that extra A can, you know, symbolizes the, the excess, the things that the language can't actually capture, right? It's the overflow. It's the things that are missed in the recollections of memory. It are, it's the things that are, you know, it, 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 it's that abyss between language and what we actually wish we could express. Now, that's, it, that's some yeah. academic shit, but it, it struck me based on what you were just saying, Matt. And Nabokov is, is definitely one of those types of yes, writers. Yes, You know, like, I, I watched those... Yale lectures on Lolita, um, which are very good. Um, but you know, like there, there's, there's, like I said before, I think there's plenty of anagrams and shit. Like Vivian Darkbloom is a anagram of Vladimir Nabokov. That's way more straightforward than his name, but with or <laughs> wait a minute, extra. the A. It's not even an extra A. A knight uh, is. A B S E, no, there's no extra A. A knight is absent. It's there. Then that, then that, that now it sounds I'm, more plausible. These dum dums, these academic dum dums. How could they get that that wrong? Because they, use, for some reason, they use the phrase "knight is absent" as in like knight himself as a person. But if you oh. if you use the other A as the first word, a knight is absent, then it's a perfect oh. anagram. Well, then that feels completely within the realm of possibility. Let's fucking go. I'm smarter I'm than not... these people. Dude, you're not <laughs> smarter than me. I just me. I came up with another with another anagram right now for it, and it's uh, Hat Skin Beast. <laughs> so that could be it, too. Wait, where's the G? There's no G. In oh, the... I didn't have the G. <laughs> okay, I got to put the G in there somewhere. <laughs> Shit. Uh, Hang. Uh, no, fuck. Sking. If there's any Beasting. anagram, if there's any anagram-based podcasts out there that want to. Oh no! Out. How about okay? Hat Beast King Kings. That sounds. Hat bald. Beast Kings. Yeah. Does that work? Yeah, hat I don't know. Beast Kings. Yeah, I think that's. I think that works. That kind of rocks. How about Kings Hat Beast? Yeah, we could figure it out. <laughs> what I also like. I, I think finally, and, and apropos of not much of what we're talking about now, but just like, I thought it was interesting because I know that it's true of Nabokov's own thought and like, therefore, and it's, it's, it's Sebastian's thought is like, cliche and genre convention are anathema and uh, uh, the artistic and aesthetic equivalent of immorality and and therefore it makes a lot of sense to me why um, some of these what would be regarded as postmodern issues right referential reverberations through time fractured and identities and fractured identity yeah. the meaning how you're beholden to who language, and yeah. whether language has a somewhat more direct like cause like 
th- that that might have less to do with what the normal postmodern um, hangups are, uh-huh. which is just that it's boring, and uh, <laughs> and that like <laughs> uh, it's lazy and laziness is immoral, and uh, uh, aesthetic novelty is the only way to prove that you are not just um, some fucking hack uh, and right. that you are not resting on your laurels and being fat about your uh, ability to write. <laughs> kind of like kind of like Sebastian Knight did at points in his life. Well, that's what I'm saying is right. like Sebastian Knight adopts those same views, um, which were genuine views, I think, held by Nabokov. Um, again, brought up most importantly in Lolita, I think, as methods of couching great evil because I think the difference between aesthetic immorality and actual immorality are complicated and pretty connected for him. Sure. Even if you don't agree with that being uh, having actual, having an actual substantive connection or, you know, it's, it's like a kind of art artist morality question as well, which is something we've never stopped arguing about basically yeah no definitely which lolita is is something that is still (laughs) brought up yep when we have that kind of discussion you know like you know because you can (laughs) lolita uh and then pedophilia and then you just go straight to like what polanski or 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 woody allen or any of this kind of stuff it's still weirdly tied up epstein Epstein. <laughs> All the Not great aesthetic, aesthetic works he Not produced. Not an artist. I mean, if you think of a capitalist success as an artist, True. maybe he is. True. Maybe. Artisan. Maybe. I also think it's worth, it just needs to be Monty said Canadian. on this show that this book was written basically entirely on the toilet. Uh, yes. Well, yeah. bidet was up his ass. Yeah. He yes. was getting his little butthole cleaned. While he was writing this book the whole time. Because, Which is he, because he didn't want to wake his daughter up. Keep that's awesome. That's that's yeah, what we that's what, weird, that's what we call him the around craziest... here. Clean butt Vladimir. <laughs> <laughs> a clean butthole is a clean mind. <laughs> so true. Uh any other thoughts, boys, before we go to uh, the wrap-up segments? No, not really. No. Any other passages you want to read? Anything like that? Uh, no, I just, I just, I want to reiterate. Like, I, I actually don't didn't look up how many published works he's had before this, or if how, there how many published any. works total? Three. Yeah. It, it was, yeah, I think it was, let's see. Like, I I, I read, I, I forgot to mention that I read Pinin, but, like, mm. uh, yeah, I know he had written some books before this one, and this was the first, quote-unquote, English novel he wrote, but, like, um. Uh, he had written a number of things before this in, in Russian. Um, okay. But nothing major. 
Yeah. Oh, I did. I, I underlined a bunch of pa- bunch of passages, but I want to read them. But he he did have this t- the term ghoulish fun on page twenty nine, which I thought was hilarious. I'm going to use that one. Some ghoulish yes. fun. He That's described a. Uh, he described a clock as having, and this is from Beauty and the Beast, basically, a waxed mustache, <laughs> mm-hmm. because it was mm. like a quarter past two or something. I forget what it was, uh, but it was like basically it, the two hands were straight across the face of the clock, and he's like, the clock was had a wax mustache, and I was like, hell yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I did want to read this little segment too, where um, uh, V visits Sebastian after like I think like four years since they've seen each other. Um, <clears throat> it's on the bottom of one hundred and seven. Uh, after he had fa- asked me a few questions about himself, he's talking about Sebastian. We both found it uh, strange to carry on the conversation. I asked him what had become of the nice girl with whom I had seen him the last time. What girl? He asked. Oh, Claire. Yes, she's all right. We're sort of married. And that's <laughs> that's him talking about Claire who ended up like being his wife. It it was a great characterization just how like he just didn't give a shit. Um and he was just Right, and douche. how Yes, exactly. How how he like his interpersonal relationships were really bad because like he was completely engrossed in his own like mental world. And, but then uh, there's um there's those. There's a passage where he, the uh, V reads like a, a love letter that he wrote to Claire, that was like really beautiful about like, the passage of time and how you just like fall out of love even though you're not, out of love with somebody but like you just end up moving on, but mm-hmm. then he right after that passage ends he kind of like devalues it and he's just like that's what he could have written or something. It was a very meta moment for me too. I underlined it and then he was like, yeah, that was some bullshit letter but it's not yes. actually what he wrote or something. And I was like, oh, I underlined that thinking it was awesome. And now he's just telling me that it was bullshit and it, it felt confusing and good. There was another was moment like that too, again, where, again, it's just it's just Nabokov like creating confusion playfully, I think, where like he's with uh, Helene, right, at her like shitty French rural... Well, he's with, he's, he's with Le Cerf, right? Helene is Le Cerf's friend who she says, right? Am I getting that it's right? It's not real, but that's not, that's not, what we're pointing out is that that's not necessarily Got true. It. okay. Right? Like, Lasser is probably Helene. Uh, there were false names written on the hotel ledger. Right. And also, like, you know, there's no smoking gun fucking, like, final proof of this, but, like. Well, and Lasser goes the, out of her way it, to not. like. <laughs> yes. I was just, just going to say, look, stare down. I was just going to say, Lasserf <laughs> goes out of her way to not let V actually interact with her friend, who she claims is the woman that he's after. Right. Yeah. Well, she set up this whole scenario because she obviously wasn't the woman. So, yeah. Right. That's how I read it. She was just like inviting her friend over, knowing that she wasn't the person that it was her. You know. Yes. Probably. Probably. And and V leaves for that reason. He's like, okay, you're clearly the mercurial, mischievous woman who se- seems the most likely to have uh, uh, made my 
half brother so depressed that he uh, had a heart attack. <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I guess. So I'm gonna leave before right. I get embroiled in more of this shit. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't have any more passages. The witness, the witness is an unreliable narrator. I, I, I just have one more passage that I think is kind of, you know, for me, emblematic of a lot of this, sort of some of these themes. And this is when he's on his way to Le Cerf's kind of like country home where he's going to meet who he thinks is Helene, who she's told him who is Helene is. Right. This is on 164. I started at nine in the morning so as to reach Lescaux around noon as arranged. I was already boarding the train when I realized with a shock that on my way I should pass St. Damier, where Sebastian had died and was buried. Here I had traveled one unforgettable night, but now I failed to recognize anything. When the train stopped for a minute at the little St. Damier platform, its inscription alone told me that I had been there. The place looked so simple and staid and definite compared to the distorted dream impression which lingered in my memory. Or was it distorted now? And I just think that that's it. Like, that is, in, in so many ways, such a distillation of so much of the book. Like, that this experience that I'm having is distorted versus my memory of it. Or was my memory distorted in the first place or vice versa, right? Like, ha like I don't know. That, 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 that moment really struck me. One final... Yeah, like mem memory, what is it? Memory, what is it? Well, one final thing I want to point out about this as, like, the sort of final attempt, right, at pinpointing some factual person within Sebastian's biography. I think it's interesting that it's in Lascaux, right, which is, like, and, and I don't know if I'm, I think I'm right, right? Isn't that where the uh, OG cave paintings were found? Around the time of of when Nabokov would have been writing, I am I'm like, genuinely not sure. Like the the basically like the origin of the early pictorial representations of like the prior evolutionary yeah, species, yeah, you're right. Homo you're sapien. Right, yes. <laughs> Good job, A plus. Which that's is like a plus. essentially that's A plus work, dude. I get extra credit. It's um, spelled differently cheers. in this text as it is in real life. I oh. well, that means I could a be wrong. But um, E versus A, Lasco or Lasco? I don't know. E. It might not matter. Squared. I guess my only point was just like you get the first um, quote. I, I would guess quote unquote historical accounting by humans interpreted by later humans of like their their behaviors and their life and things like that. Um, again, that, 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 that might be what Gabe described as a very academic response to <laughs> like this shit, but uh, I don't know. I, I don't think it's, I, I don't think it's overly academic at all. I mean, it, I think, you know, again, barring us just being wrong that there's a town Lisco with an E and one with an A. Okay. Whatever. Sure, yeah. Um, but assuming they're the same place, I don't think it's a weird connection at all because that's like one of the first recorded, you know, instances of humans attempting to express themselves via symbols, and that's yes. what this fucking yeah. book is about. <laughs> like, yeah, and yes. the, and, and yes. the ways that that fails. 
Yes. Uh, so I actually think that's a really fucking important connection for sure. Um, that's the only one, the last thing I wanted to sort of Hail Mary I wanted to throw. I don't think it's a Hail Mary. Story. I love it. Thank you, Gabriel. So academic of you. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> I think the last Hail Mary I want to throw is that that anagram you said of Sebastian Knight, Gabe. What was it mm -hmm. again? A knight, uh, a knight is absent. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, Tom Riddle in I Am Voldemort and da 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 Let me take a piss. So while Matt takes a piss, I'll introduce a segment. This is one of the fan favorite segments on the show, according to nobody. According to nobody. Because nobody's ever listened this far into the show. Where it's definitely a host favorite segment. It's, a, it's definitely a host favorite segment. <laughs> where uh, we call it, we literally just read another book, which is where we get to indulge our teenage dumb dumb brains and put all of the characters, not all, but the, the important characters from the book that we just read into respective Harry Potter houses. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you say it that earnestly, it just makes me laugh. Just so stupid. Uh, it, I'm very like, no. Okay, no. I'm offended. It's not stupid. <laughs> this is important. This is important work we're doing. It is important, and I agree. It's just yeah. It's this is gonna go bad. down in history when Harry when Harry Potter houses take the place of of uh, astrology and tarot. Then yeah. they're gonna they're gonna refer to this podcast and be like, they're they oh, actually God, their God, arguments God. about Harry Potter houses are the best. They're actually very smart. <laughs> it will be actually in the history books. These guys smart. They're they mo they they more deeply analyzed Harry Potter houses than even J.K. J.K. herself, who is canceled, by the way. She doesn't even have a right to do it anymore. She's right. canceled. You you're you've given up. You've given up. Uh, control of these concepts yeah totally all right matt the segment is introduced and okay so who do we think is worth so obviously sebastian and v right assuming they're real people yeah maybe claire i would say probably sebastian and v are basically the only people worth uh exploring that idea you don't think claire no no Wow. I'm okay with just doing the two. All right. I feel bad for Claire. I think Claire got the short end of the stick. Uh, her life seems disproportionately tragic to what she was and attempted to do. And As uh, the greatest American president would say, sad. <laughs> sad, dude. <laughs> she seemed fucking sick, but I don't know enough about her, man. Hey. That, 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 that uh, scene, I, I did... I, I, I'm not gonna say I teared up, but that scene where V kind of like pulls back from like accosting her because she just is so pathetic and like blind and pregnant. She's pregnant in that scene, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh God, so depressing. I know, man. Anyway, all right, let's do it then. V. And the fact that V and Sebastian are potentially the same person is apropos. It adds a, an interesting dynamic. So does, does that mean we have to have the same answer for both? 
No, but maybe. I have different. I have. I think I might have different. I, I'm gonna say uh, Sebastian is a Ravenclaw. Interesting. A dirty, a dirty uh, saucy, slimy Ravenclaw. I don't. That's interesting. Okay, why Ravenclaw? Yeah. Well, he's just all about his freaking art, dude. He's a freaking artist living to make art and literature, and that's all he cares about. And he's not overly concerned. He's not like a slither, and he's not overly concerned with like image or anything. He's just. But he is overly concerned with himself. So. Yeah, but there's there's a lack of. There's a lack of um. Like he's clearly yeah, the, he's clearly a narcissist, right? Yes, he gets a painting where that's that's the idea, but I I, I don't know if that's actually where a, he lands cleanly. It's a necessary but not sufficient condition for Slytherin. <laughs> yeah. Is it a justified true belief game? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go agree with Paul. I think I think he's. I think he's Ravenclaw, and I think that V is Hufflepuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna tentatively I'm gonna tentatively um, put a stake in the ground and say that Sebastian is Slytherin. I, I I'm not I'm not a hundred. It's a weak it's a weak Slytherin for me. It's a weak claim. I'm not a hundred percent convinced, but but I'm gonna just to be controversial. Yeah, okay. Right, well, he's not. I think he proved that based on based on again, it's all complicated by the account that like there's maybe no difference between these people and right. it's like uh is it's postmodern in that way where everyone can be expanded or contracted into each other. But like uh it seemed like Sebastian was was like Evolving out of the solipsism that he was developing for the first yes. thirty years of his life, yeah. in into some like broader understanding of like humanity and the people around him, in a way that would have <laughs> so, justified me. Like he's not just a fucking asshole who's like, I'm a genius. I'm gonna so be more. So maybe if we're going down the astrology route, maybe I would call Sebastian a waning Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, let's smash two sort of like questionable ways to measure people together. He's a waning. And he's, a wa and he's a waning Slytherin. He's a waning Slytherin. Sure. But therefore, I'm going to call him a uh, a Ravenclaw. Fa yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Waxing yeah. Ravenclaw. Pretty. <laughs> <laughs> you think he's on the cusp? Yeah. Yeah, he's on the yes. cusp. Yeah. He's on the way. All right, so what about V? I think I agree with Matt. I think he's a Hufflepuff. Uh -huh. um, I, I think he uh, he has a lot of gall. Like he go, He's really interested in like exploring and writing this book about Sebastian. But he, he's inept in all the ways that a, a Hufflepuff would be in the pursuit of that. I agree. Yeah, yeah. like... He wants to do well by his cousin, or his cousin, Jesus Christ, his uh, half brother, who he's like obsessed cousin, with. And oh my God, that was a huge mistake! Uh, wow, Bit, what a boner! We we, we got to run it back. <laughs> we got to re-record this whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> I pulled a 
boner. Shit. Uh, yeah, I kind of imagine V as being like a puffer fish, like floating around. Huffle puffer. Huffle puffer. Huffle puff fish. <laughs> just kind of like this guy who's just kind of, I don't know, kind of a dumb dumb. Yeah, he is kind of a dumb dumb. But it's also, yeah. fun. okay, I will just say this, though. One of the other small things that I found really funny is that V so often is like, Sebastian Knight is this he, the best writer. I'm such a fucking idiot loser compared to him. And it, and it comes and it comes right before a section where it's supposed to be V's writing that is beautiful and and really good and like very yeah. like and, it, and so I, right. I I think it's really sort of again this sort of like performative contradiction in V's description of his own experience and his understanding of Sebastian's life where he's just like oh my god, Sebastian was this fucking genius and I'm like this dumb, dumb idiot. And then he writes three pages of just beautiful, like, um, incredible prose. Yes. Well, I think that, but it's not him, right? If we all, if we all think that V doesn't exist, then it was Sebastian yeah, writing it. That's right. That's right. Yes. It's a big, because it's a big, it's a big thing. Yep. Because that, that, that's like the, you know, again, to bring it to a book I've never fucking read and I'm sorry. But, like, one of the things about Lolita was everyone's like, why is Humbert Humbert so good at saying how he feels and expressing beautifully uh, his situation and his ideas? And it's because it's, it's the like writer it's that not, the words. Yeah, it's just, like, not him. Humbert Humbert is, the, not him. Humbert Humbert is the OG gooner. <laughs> is that his name? Name in the book. Humber, yeah. Good yeah. lord. Humpy Humbert Humbert, dude. Humbert, Humbert. It, 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 it's more like Cumbert Cumbert. Yes. A hundred percent. Cumbert. Cumbert Gooner. All right. So my my final votes are R Claw, H Buff. Yeah, I my final vote Same. is my final vote is uh waxing Slytherin and Hufflepuff and full Hufflepuff. Got you. All right, great. I love that for us. <laughs> All right, boys. What's what? Are we, what are we giving this book out of uh, out of five? So, so Matt, Matt has to go last. last. Yeah, I can go first. To okay. me, this is a bullseye four point zero zero. Uh, I I thought it was um, obviously like at points deeply beautiful, like writing wise. I thought it was complex. Brought up a lot of interesting issues. Um, I thought, you know, again, it's probably unfair, but I was, I was just cause it's not yeah, right. Like we make jokes, every book is a sequel to every other book, but at the same time you can't necessarily compare, but I couldn't help comparing this to the museum of unconditional surrender in terms of questions of memory, identity, history, like personal sort of, sort of, you know, place and connection. Um, and I like that book significantly more than I like this one, um, which is reflected in my score. Still a high score. 4.0 is good. Yeah, no, it's very good. It's a, it's a very, very good. good. I, I thought very it was good. excellent. I loved I enjoyed it deeply. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to have to give it a 3.80. It was a good book. I, I liked it. Um, Still I thought the tight. writing is beautiful. It remind it just like uh, makes you want to read more. I'm gonna read Lolita next because I feel like it's about time. Let's do it on the pod. Gotta, well, maybe we should. 
but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I like the postmodern ideas that were brought up. I liked uh, the characterizations, even though they were very, you know, meta characterizations that you don't know what to believe. But um, yeah, I, I think Nabokov is just a obviously everyone always says it, but he's a brilliant writer. He's also really funny. Like there were some funny moments. Yeah, definitely cheeky moments. Um, and overall, it, it, it there wasn't like this overall darkness to it either that I kind of expected out of Nabokov. Mm. That I just, I don't know why I did. I just thought, when I think of a Lolita, I think of just like this dark book. But maybe that well, the book themes are dark. Similar style. They're yes. just not represented that way. They're written kind of wholesomely. Like this book felt wholesome to me. Like it, I don't know, it made me feel good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, I'm three point eight five. I love that. I love that. Um, I mean, once again, me and Gabe find ourselves at the. It's the same four four. It's a four. Oh my god! It's across the board four, man. I'm the outsider. (laughs) Barely. We're we're pretty fucking close. We're all pretty fucking. This is this is a pretty like yeah, (laughs) unanimous decision here. (laughs) Just like you know, even for Nabokov. Right, I'm just aware of this being an early one for him. I see all of the shit like that m- moves into his later works, which I think he's mostly known for the works post World War II. Yeah, Bellfire, Lolita. Yes, um, Ada. Yep. Um, and and yeah, I, I really want to reread all that stuff, and I want to revisit all his his earlier stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I I so yeah, a solid just a four. I like I, I like this book very much. Yep. Sweet. Sick. Sick. God. Sick. Damn. I love when we're all, you know, I love when we're all on the same page, but I also love when we're not. So. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so who's to say what the truth is? <laughs> Postmodernism. It's and it's postmodern. <laughs> yeah, I definitely uh, I will be rereading or effectively reading for the first time Lolita and Pale Fire and some of his other stuff. That Yale lecture was good. I almost feel like it's bad that I listened to it before reading, but you know, I, I did watch the second. I only watched the second one, but uh, yeah, it's it was very illuminating. I thought. I mean, I just I, I, once again like. Uh, both as a sort of cringe metric and not like it just it feels like all these issues have just sort of increased their relevance and also uh, exponentially increased their uh, uh, what like the topic at hand in even a book like this has only has only become more complicated and in, in over time. Yes. Basically. It's yes. just like all these concerns are now just this plus. And that's, that's basically the situation we find ourselves in. So th- there's no harm. It's very helpful to, to see the originary sort of concerns and go and like, so, and now I, we're here again. I just really, I think it's so interesting, you know, thinking about Nabokov's own attitudes towards all this shit and how much he would have hated it and how much he hated yes. even even the level of literary criticism at his time 
like during his lifetime, yeah. which was not like it was, you know, Derrida wasn't fucking writing yet. Like none of that, you know, it was, yeah. I, I think that is so interesting that he seems to me, to me, to be clearly participating in those sort of discourses while also denouncing them personally, which again, and eventually he would be exactly. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. All right, everybody. If you're here still, you might like our Patreon. You might like the show enough to give us some money. Uh, go check it out. Patreon.com slash Spinecrackers. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are the Panopticon. Legion. Yeah. And we are in love with you. That's right. I love you, I love you so much. <laughs>